Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, February 28th. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. We've got the team with us from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them, and then we'll get to your calls and questions. We're going to open the phone lines right now, so jump in and join us, 855-950-3835. We're kind of making this decision on the fly right now, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, let you know what we're shooting for later today. I'm finishing up a commentary I was going to record later today, and I think we are going to use it as a test of our mobile system. So I expect to have issues. Uh, We're not really there yet, but a good test right now would really help me work through some of them. We may be able to pull it off. It might work. Who knows? Um, but if you, if you don't like it when you're listening to a show and we run into technical problems, then don't listen to this one because there's a high chance that we're going to struggle with some of the technology on this. We're going to ask for calls so we can test for that part of the system. So I may do some commentary to get audio levels right. Then we may bring in some calls. So it's we're going to broadcast it live is what I'm trying to say. And if you want to listen, you can, if you want to join us on calls, we don't have a time yet. We're working out the details as we speak. So I'll uh, keep you informed on that. We'll probably also send out a text to let everybody know the details on that. Uh, Let's jump right in uh, and get started on some things. Bruce, you're first up. Welcome back. Well, Kevin, thank you. As always, it's our pleasure and we are driving up towards Wyoming right now, and uh, I'm sure you know the roads have been shut down. Oh, We're on yeah. our way to the owner-operator snowmobile conference. Well, you got plenty of snow. So, we're going to have plenty of snow. We just got to get everybody there. We've got about 25 owner-operators. So hey. if you can, instead of driving tomorrow, you might want to drive today because they're holding the rooms for us for tonight. Hey, Bruce, if, if there were no. ever a group yes. of 25 people that I had confidence could make it somewhere on the roads, it's these guys. That's right. They're all professionals. That's right. So, anyway, hey, hey, I had an Bruce, interesting Bruce, phone real call quick, yesterday. Real quick. What? Before you get started, and I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but I know your thoughts on this topic and I know your interest and I want to point something out to you. So can't believe we're already going to be talking about the presidential election, but we are. It's just where we are now. Um, I know how you feel about Trump and his policies. I agree completely. This year, the, the whole it's going to be a mess. It's going to the Republicans this year are going to look like the Democrats last year. We're probably going to have 25 people run. But there's one guy I want you to go watch. Um, I've read his book when it came out. He wrote a book called Woke Inc. to explain why these big corporations have been doing what they're doing. And he actually started a hedge fund to fight back against the woke hedge funds like BlackRock. Guy's absolutely brilliant. He really is. He's young. Uh, he's got a, a ton of potential. So I just the, the one thing he's pushing right now, this is kind of why I, I want you to take a look at this guy. And honestly, I want everybody to go take a look at him. Um, we're way early. Nobody knows who has a shot at this yet. I think the more people we throw out there, the better this is going to be. But if we look at, at what happened to our country, how did we get where we are today? I think there's one thing we could point to. That is 
the Republicans ignored the education system and the Democrats took it over. And they did it a couple decades ago. And, and now we're seeing it. We're seeing those policies in our school system come to light and it's awful. How did we ignore this so long and let them get such a hold on our kids? And the only way we're ever going to change the future is to get some control of that back. So for right now, if I had kids, I'd be homeschooling them. But this guy is saying right now, eliminate the Department of Education. Just get rid of it completely. It shouldn't have existed. It should have never existed. I don't know that I've ever heard another politician ever say this seriously, but it's what's got to happen. And he's out there saying it, it will be one of his top priorities. He's got a lot of other really, really good priorities as well. So here's the name. The, the name itself is, uh, I think it would make a good superhero name. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy. Have you seen this guy at all? No. Go check this guy out. Really. Um, if nothing else, okay. it's going to really shake up the race. And I, I, that's that's enough. We'll go on to trucking. But I, I just he's in the news right now and he's out talking a lot. Right. And he just nom he just announced last week he is running. Interesting. Yeah. Check okay. him out. Uh, you know what? And I, don't, he, I, I don't know how long I'll have you. Yeah. He may end up. I don't being know if I'll make it the whole two somebody. hours today or not. So. All right. We'll see what we can do. Okay. All right. So yesterday I had an interesting phone call from a guy in Canada. His uh, brother lives in Mexico and speaks Spanish, but they're, it's not, they're not Spanish. They're actually from Canada. And he said, my brother had his N14 rebuilt. It's a select, so it's a 97 or older. And it went 500 miles and spun a rod bear, our main bearing. So they yanked it apart again out of the chassis and fixed the, the block and put it back together with the existing parts, went 5,000 miles and spun a rod bearing. So really? Two, two major failures within 5,000 miles. So the first question I asked was, did they down in Mexico, when they rebuilt it, put in reconditioned connecting rods? And he said, well, I'm not sure. I'll have to check. Because the connecting rod starts to go out of shape on the crank end at around 300,000. So when we have engines going a million, a million, two, when it's, when it's rebuild time, you need to put in reconditioned connecting rods. And then I asked him the other question was, did he put, has he been changing the torsional damper every half a million miles? So he called his brother down in Mexico and I talked to him later and he said, never change the damper. And they looked at the rods. Well, looking at rods does nothing. So there his brother could be going bankrupt now because of a failure of never changing the damper, which is his problem. And also the mechanic that rebuilt it and the mechanic not knowing to put in reconditioned connecting rods. Wow. So when we talk about these parts that, yeah, when we talk about these parts that do fail, uh, there's a reason. And so every half a million change that torsional damper. What a horrible story, especially right now. You know, I, I posted yeah. earlier this week, they, if you look at the numbers right now, we have an overcapacity of, of too many trucks right now by about 25%.
I mean, it's about 25% of the trucks just need to be off the street so we, so we can get rates back to something normal. And, and it will happen. It'll take time, though. It, it takes a long time. You, you, you know, when especially people have to remember, we are coming out of the best couple of years we've ever seen. And even people who didn't know how to run their business, they were making money the last couple of years. And they'll be able to hold out for a while. And the longer they hold out, the lower the rates will drop until we can start to get some of that capacity out of the industry. How do we get the country back to the way it was? Let's put the man back in office that did that. Yeah, I know. Really simple equation. A really simple equation. Uh, Whenever you had a president that avoided a recession and then you and prices of fuel was low and uh, building was booming and job markets was skyrocketing in manufacturing and there weren't enough trucks. And then they stole the election from them. And now they look who they put in office. And now look where we are. It's simple. It's simple. Just put Trump back in or this other fellow you spoke about. But right now, my my vote is Trump. Yeah. Or the other thing that I I hope the Republicans can pull off, because there's an awful lot of infighting right now with Trump, DeSantis, uh, Ramaswamy, I think, is really going to shake up the race. There are some others that will jump in that are pretty impressive. What I hope they can come up with is just a good duo, you know, a really good duo. Don't come up with some lame running mate, you know, for a really strong president. Let's have two really strong people there. And and they should be able to pull that off from the field they have to work with. Okay. All right. Well, that is all I have to say. And I'm going to set this phone down and get two hands back in the wheel because we're in wind and snow. All right. You do that and we will go to the guys over at Pittsburgh Power. Pete, Leroy, good morning. Good morning. Morning, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. Uh, Leroy, what's on your mind this week? Uh, on my mind this week is this uh, sort of weird looking truck we have in the back shop. It uh, has no cab. It has a steering wheel and a seat on the outside of it and a weird panel box. It has two seats. It has two, two external two seats. And two steering wheels. <laughs> and a giant tank in the back. It looks like a vacuum hose. <laughs> yeah, this sounds odd. It doesn't look odd. like a truck at all. <laughs> and I'm staring at feet right now. <laughs> it's a uh, road grinder with an N14 on it. Really? Uh, Mechanical? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's a local. Uh, no, it's electronics. It's it? a select okay. plus. And then it has a little Cat C4 up front to uh, run all the hydraulics. It's sort of a... Uh, like the cutest little cat you've ever seen. Wow. It's you know, a little four-cylinder. I I really want to see if I could get an ECM flat, flash file for it and modify it. But, you know, Wait. put that thing in. J- Jared wants to put it in a Jetta. But. I, I was going to ask if we could slap that into something fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it's anything else, like all the other cat smaller displacement stuff, it's just underpowered and too heavy. So Couldn't a Jeep. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. See, that's yeah. what I'm just like... There's so much better options in a Jeep than a that thing. What would you, what would you put in there? What would you put in there? I down. What would I put in a Jeep? Yeah. Probably the inline four that it came, or the inline six four liter that it came with. That thing is bulletproof. You, really? I don't know anything about it. But oh yeah, it was a it was a good engine. But anyway, so this N14 um, has just a lot of wiring issues, and it's mostly because it sits outside and it has no cover over it. 
So all the wiring to the ECM, all the insulation is like cracked, Oof. like dry rotted, cracked Oof. and broken off. That's ugly. <laughs> raw copper sticking out everywhere. And um, the, the, all these wiring things that I've seen so far have nothing to do with the problem that it came in with. This is just other oh stuff boy. we're seeing <laughs> right. right up the bat. So on a, on a Select Plus ECM, there's three connectors in it. There's an A, B, an A connector, a B connector, and a C connector. One is mostly for injectors and power and grounds. One is for most of the engine sensors, like the boost pressure sensor, intake air, oil pressure. And then the other connector is for, um, usually on a truck, it's for like the clutch switch, the jake switches, um, the data link, things like that. Most of the issues I've seen are just on the, the like the cab side connector on the B connector. So it came in for a miss on three and four, and we see like probably you know ten hours plus worth of wiring work that's not even related to the reason that it came in. But we can't like let it leave like that. You know what I mean? It's it's like the connectors like electrical taped onto them. Right, there. right. So yeah, I was looking at that yesterday and a little bit this morning just sort of coming up with a plan and um that, that kind of reminds me of another thing a lot of people are saying well we can just do a cutout test on that n14 through insight like the common software and the way i've always done a cutout test on a um on an n14 is just reach up there and just unplug it like it has the six individual plugs on the side of the head it makes it really easy just to unplug one at a time and do a cutout test you don't even need any software I wish they were almost all like that. Yeah. You can you can just reach up, unplug it. Does it sound like it went away? Yeah, yes or no. Plug it back in. Nice and simple. You don't need a laptop. Yeah, nice and simple. Makes me think of the, the old days, right, Pete, where you didn't need a laptop. Yeah. Things are better. <laughs> yeah. I know. Don't get carried away there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, all right. Uh, yeah, so it's... We haven't figured out anything as far as the miss yet, but um, we'll see if we can't get it fixed. Isn't it a come and go type of miss under certain loads? I don't know. That's the other thing. I don't know how we're going to test it unless we like go chew up the parking lot. We'll go down the cul-de-sac. Can, can we uh, use it to go make a four-wheel drive path out in the woods or something? I don't know what its four-wheel drive capability is, but we can try. <laughs> Give it a shot. <laughs> Start up the hill and come down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Make it up the hill out back. I don't know. That's interesting. Okay. But, yeah, that's all and, I have. And they've done a lot. They've changed ECM. They've changed injectors. They've done a wiring harness. I don't know what wiring harness they replaced <laughs> because all the ones I looked at were crap. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, like – Leroy said it's completely um, exposed. Yeah. I mean, there's not even any type of cover on the engine. The ECM just sits right there. You would think if you had a, I imagine the thing's pretty expensive. Is that fair to say? I would think so. You would think you put a cover over it. Something. You know? Yeah. Like it has like, like, like electrical panel box where like the driver interfaces with all the hydraulics and things like that. And the you, panel box is just exposed. You know, the other thing that and this I, I worry about. Well, oh, go ahead, Pete. It's a big piece of equipment. It is the length of a trailer. I mean, oh, when wow. you hook up a truck to pull it in. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's That's not something big. they're going to pour away. I'm sure all winter it sits outside. I mean, yeah. You probably don't have space to put it inside. You know, the and other then, of thing. of course, when you're at a job site, right. it's sitting outside getting around. The whole time. Yeah. You know, the other thing I'm, I get concerned about with the coach, because it sits outside, I like to 
change that sometime. And I, I don't really like it when it's in storage someplace because then when I need it, I got to go screw around with all that. So I like it here. But I'm also concerned with the, you know, thousands of miles of wiring that's on that thing about mice getting in there and tearing up wiring. Oh, yeah. So I, you know, put out traps and, you know, deterrents and all kinds of things. Yeah, you got, I can imagine your RV has a lot of wiring. Oh, that would be a nightmare. It's insane. I mean, I never even thought about the fact till it broke down on the road on that last trip that I was on that I had a 40, almost a 50 foot long hydraulic hose. I never even thought about that for the, wow. the power steering. The pump is back on the engine, the back right corner. And the power steering pump itself is on the left front corner of the coach. It's about a 50-foot line. The, you know what makes us better is when we when we shift into hybrid RVs, you know, and then we can have the, the motor that drives the power steering up front. That's exactly But then we'll right. add more wiring. So <laughs> we'll get rid of the 50-foot hose and then add like another mile and a half of wiring. Well, and then the one, so, of, I mean, one of the other problems I had at the very beginning of that trip. So I had put the coach in the shop before the trip. I went down and picked it up, drove it over the coast and parked over there for a couple of days just to test everything before the big trip. And I was coming back off the coast and heading home. And luckily, when I was about two miles away from the shop, I had to go right by it. Um, I got a big coolant leak. I mean, just lost a ton of coolant, about 10 gallons, I think. And it turned out to be the pump that sends the coolant all the way to the front of the coach for the air conditioning and heating. Or the heating, not the air conditioning. So you've got air conditioning lines running all the way up there. You've got coolant lines running all the way up there. You've got hydraulic lines. You've got tons of electrical wiring. It's a nightmare. Oh, I can imagine. It reminds me a little bit of the, uh, I just saw more stuff about that super truck program from Freightliner. Yeah. And they're, they have like a whole 48 volt system on board to, I think they said in their article that I briefly just skimmed over that it's to sort of like power the air conditioning and, um, things in the cab. Right. And I mean, while, while that might save a few percent, uh, for fuel efficiency, I just don't know if it's really worth adding complexity to the whole system. You know what I mean? Well, you know, I when I talked about that 10-liter um, uh, Cummins, the same thing. It's got a 48-volt system on it, and I think they said they were using the 48-volt to run the emissions and maybe some other things as well, but they the primary reason on that engine, I think, was emissions, they said. And I thought the same thing. Yeah, I That's did. an awful lot of complexity. Could we, as much as I study electricity it's some of this stuff still isn't sinking in could we just build a 48 volt truck instead of a 12 and 48 i mean you could yeah i mean it's it's all doable then it just comes back just the complexity and money i mean it's all yeah. about the money yeah but, you know I, i'm just not so sure that we're chasing the problems i feel like we're going after the easy problems just to look like it's making progress <laughs> but it's not really right. helpful yeah you know what i mean not, sort of like busy work. not enough of a return for, like you said, the cost and complexity. Yeah, because like, oh, well, the, the new Freightliner super truck gets 12 miles of the gallon. Like, 
that's fantastic. But then when the module for the, the climate control goes out in the cab, you can't get it because there's no but chips in the world. It, well, and then it's a $10,000. Let's talk about the big elephant in the room. They spent millions, hundreds of millions. I don't know. These two super truck programs have gotten an incredible amount of money from the government and they're getting 12. So is Joel right. and Henry and a couple of other people. In the real world, not one trip once in a while, we're starting to see those kinds of numbers. So we spent all this money and you gained next to nothing. Right. I mean, I don't want to like crap on all their like findings that they they have figured out because there's a lot of really cool things that they have figured out. A lot of things that will probably be applicable down the road as far as aerodynamics and, you know, material science and things like that. But... Like, it just doesn't feel like, you know. It was worth it. it. It's all useful. Right, right. Bruce, are you trying to say something in the background there? Oh, no, I'm I'm okay. Okay, gotcha. All right. Um, Leroy, you good for the day? I'm good complaining for today. I'll let Pete complain now. All right. Pete, what's on your mind this week? Yeah, I don't have. I don't have much, but I had a customer call up with an N14 this week, electronic, uh, select plus, and had some questions about his engine. And he said, yeah, my fuel mileage is down. It usually drops in the winter. I'm doing eight, low eight. And in the summer, he can do nine. And I'm like, that's just phenomenal. And he's pushing 80,000 pounds. Yeah. But, but he drives, you know, 57, 58, easy on a pedal, keeps the boost down. I mean... That is mostly the driver getting that fuel mileage. Yeah. Right. Right. And like, you know, how much, like they were saying, how much do you spend to get another mile to gallon with new technology? At what point is the cost of it not worth it? I agree. Get something that gets 12. Yep. I agree. It's got to be a, and just like these people gasoline goes up so they dump their ford pickup and buy a little car you know lost 20 grand on their pickup because no one wants it and then fuel drops down to three bucks beyond <laughs> a year later yeah how many times what have we say? been through that cycle yeah, quite yeah. a few and you're Some right never change. It, it happens every time and you know would any of these companies freightliner pack car any of them that were involved in this, would they do this without the government's money? No, they wouldn't because they didn't. They could have done this on their own. They have that kind of money. That's what big corporations should be doing, research and development. And in this country, we we have, we have spend so much less on R&D than we used to. And, and now we'll do it if the government gives us a bunch of money. We got to stop that because they waste it. If this was their money, they would have gotten better results out of it, I promise you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one thing we didn't see this time, or I didn't notice it, when fuel prices went up, as they have, generally that's when we see everyone pushing propane and hydrogen units. That didn't seem to come you, up this time. You know why? That's, that's expensive, too. Well, <laughs> doesn't well, yeah, it doesn't them before. No, I think there's a different reason this time. I think that think about this. We have never seen a time where fuel went above five dollars a gallon, significantly above it, and stayed there 
and there wasn't a lot of complaining about it. We're still well into the $4 range, which used to be a disaster for this industry. And we're acting like it's normal pricing because it came down. The reason it wasn't a big deal this time, we had so much revenue. So anybody could survive. The, the rates were so good that anybody could survive. And as long as they're paying the bills, they don't complain as much. And I think that was the big difference this time is we didn't see as many people fail because of fuel price. Fuel surcharges were nice and strong because rates were strong. There's plenty of freight. Now that's changing. Now that's why we've got 25% overcapacity and these guys are going to crash and burn. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, I, and I don't go ahead. To end any time either. No, I don't either. As the, far as the you know. yeah, the only reason the the fuel prices are coming down the way they are is because the economy is cooling off so much. There's just not the demand anymore for fuel, and prices go down. It's supply and demand. It always is, and the same thing with rates. Rates are supply and demand. There's very little demand, and it's it's being crushed every day when when companies restocked after covid they overstocked and now they are stopping that and that's part of the problem but then the inflation starts to cool the economy we're we're in for a tough run i i I think we've got a tough at least 24 months ahead of us and i'm not seeing used trucks coming down by much just based on what customers will call up and looking at this truck and here's what they want for him thinking that seems awfully high it still is if there's more truck trade there should be less demand for trucks i'm not seeing the used truck market come down much nope i agree if any nope i'm saying the same thing it did come down the really extreme pricing isn't there anymore. You know, those stupid prices we were seeing, people paying $230,000 for a, a, a used truck a year old. They, they were paying that kind of money. It just really stupid numbers. That's kind of gone away, but it didn't drop back to where it should be right now, where those prices are still overpriced for this market. Yep, it is. All right, let's uh, let, let's grab a call. We've got lots of phone lines open. Jump in and join us. They will get busy. They always do once we start taking calls. So get in quick, 855-950-3835. We're going to start off in Missouri. Glenn, welcome to the program. Hey, uh, went in for, a, for an overhead on a B model. Um, when I went to go test drive it after they were done, or went to leave, the Jake's sounded like it was working about 85% or 95, whatever. It sounded like a cylinder in the Jake's were, wasn't quite working. I didn't know if you guys have ever heard of that. I tightened the Jake's up a little bit. He said tighten the Jake's. One or two of them was loose. Didn't know if you guys have heard of tightening a Jake having to do with the Jake's not working right. So if the Jake's are way out of adjustment, it's going to, you know, affect the performance of it. It would have to be off pretty far one way or the other Everyth- to really make much of a difference. Everything sounded fine before. They had 30000 on a rebuild or an out-of-frame. The Jakes, they didn't rebuild the Jakes, but um, the whole, whatever. That's why I went in for an, for a, for an overhead. 
But everything was fine before, but he said the jakes were a little bit loose, so he tightened them up, and apparently tightening them up made the difference. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. He said he act, they act like it was just a coincidence that it happened when he tightened it up, or maybe uh, he broke a spring when he tightened it up, or they didn't want to take responsibility for it. But I didn't know if that, I don't know. So, I don't know where to go. You know, you had a rebuild, so the, the valve seat in, which affects the obviously the, the valve adjustments, but also the jakes because the jakes are opening up the exhaust valve. So it's not uncommon for them to be out, you know, after you do initial overhead setting during a rebuild. So having it set at 30,000 miles is a good idea. So generally, my thought on something like this is it was fine before they, they made some changes. I would go back in and check it. Maybe someone made a mistake. I mean, it's easy enough to do. But I'd have them recheck well, the oak. I took it back, and he basically stuck his little fork back in there. I watched him do it, pulled the valve covers off, and stuck his fork back in there. One was just a hair still loose, um, but everything else was still good. 70,000 is what he set it at. Um, he acts like that was for a B model. That's what it should be. But, but yeah, he, he, without taking the jakes apart, they said they wouldn't know, and they weren't going to do that, you know, on their dime. Right, right. Now, the jakes do need rebuilt um, over time, and that's not uncommon. Uh, I would think that your complaint would have been, hey, they seem a little bit weaker, um, and like slowly got worse, not where you had the overhead set and you noticed the difference right away. Yeah. Well, I could hear the difference, and then I went, I went back, took the mechanic on a test drive, and he could hear it. He could hear what I was talking about, took it back into the shop. They you know, were listening to the jakes, revving it up, listened to them, and we couldn't figure it out without taking the jakes apart taking them off, taking them apart. But yeah, before it went in there, there was nothing, it was, it, they ran just normal, you know? And then you go in there and they adjust the valves or the jakes. And then it seems they acted like it, they might've, by tightening it up, they might have pushed it down into a wear spot in the, what they call it? The, uh, the piston in the jakes. And now it's hanging up or, or they might've broke a spring when they tightened it up or they didn't really give me an answer. Yeah. So, one thing I would do also, I don't know the specs on a B-model cat. Maybe try to verify that from another cat dealership, what the jakes are to be set at for a B-model cat. I, Have your answers here on the hand. I called the guy who rebuilt it out in New Mexico. He rebuilt the whole, did the whole outer frame. And I told him they set it at 70,000, and he didn't have a complaint with that. Okay. Which they're, it's a small shop out in New Mexico. He's, he's been doing it for a while, so he knows what he's talking about. But... Uh, Okay, so you yeah, did verify yeah. that you're probably correct then. Yeah. You know, I've, yeah. I've had, you know, I know, I know the, the Cummins because we're a Cummins dealer and that's what I worked on, but I'll have guys call up and say, oh, they said it here. I'm like, that's wrong. Well, they said it works best that way. It's wrong. Um, yeah, I'll make sure to tell the guy they said it. verified it, and I'm sure it's correct then. Uh, so do, is it something to work? Because now it's even worse. Now it seems about 50%. Like I got it on, on, you know, low side or something, but it's even worse now. So I don't. I'm going to guess just buy the kit and rebuild them, but do I go back? And yeah, that's them? the next step uh, is to have, you know, as these engines are getting older, we're doing more and more Jake rebuild just because of the, the age and wear on the, the, the Jakes. It's just, I said, you didn't have the overhead set and this happened. I would say, okay, just rebuild it. The fact that it happened yeah. after an overhead setting kind of, okay, that's a little weird. What's going on there? The explanations they said, did that sound reasonable? That sound like something that could actually happen? 
they're so far those I think that mechanic's been so far removed from from B models, which is another problem to try to find someone who knows. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if so, he knew exactly what he was talking about, but hoping yep. he did. Does that, does that sound reasonable to think that doing tightening him up could do one of those things? I, I don't. I don't know the B model cats. I know on you know, the Cummins side, you know, okay. they don't like, you don't have where, so you have what they call the slave piston coming down on a crosshead to open the valve. Seldom do you see any wear there that affects anything. Now you could have a slave piston that hangs up your master piston, okay. um, which is what uh, builds the hydraulic pressure can um, just over time. Uh, you lose some of that hydraulic pressure, which makes the jakes a little weaker. Uh, but again, Surely not after having the overhead set. Okay. Well, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just not sure if, you know, it's just yeah. it's odd. I, I can see why what you're is, questioning. Have you looked into getting the rebuild kit for, uh, have, you lo- have you looked into that recently? Have, do you know if they're available or have you not looked into that? I, I don't know for the cats. I, I know that the Cummins, um, the 50-50 chance of getting one, and they've gotten terribly expensive. What used to be, $200, I think they're over 500 bucks. I'm not sure if the cat would be yeah. the same. I imagine so. Um, they were saying about yeah. seven. Oh, good Lord, yeah. That, that's about 700 But they said they were not even – they called a one-cat dealership while I was there, and they said they didn't even have it. But I don't know how you have a price for something you don't have. But, yeah, they, they don't – they're un, yeah, unavailable or whatever. I have to keep looking around. But, okay. All right. Well, that's all. I was just wondering if you guys have heard about that or if that sounds accurate or not. But – I'm like, we're just going to rebuild them then. I, I think so. That's what I would do. Okay. All right, cool. Well, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. We're going to move along. Uh, phone lines are open. We've got room. Jump in and join us. 855-950-3835. Hey, Bruce, if you're listening there in the background, you might want to jump in on this one. I know you're driving, but uh, this one's for you, I think. We're going to go to Delaware. Albert, welcome to the program. Hey guys, how are y'all doing? Good. What's on your mind today? I just wanted to, uh, I just wanted to thank Bruce. Uh, he helped me find his truck through uh, one of his connections, and you know, it is just amazing what is out there. Me and my wife here two week, couple weeks ago went out all week all over the place, and the stuff that's out there and junk that's for sale is mind blowing. And you know, it's it's quite something when you have a connection. I'm driving the truck now, Bruce, and it's a good riding truck, and I really, really appreciate it. And it's coming up to the shop uh, next week, actually, March the 8th or the following week. So, I'm not sure if he's there or not. Bruce, but, let, me, uh, let me look and see if we still have the line. Oh, no, we lost the whole line. Uh, yep, he's gone. Lost it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we lost the whole line. Yeah, so... What, what are we going to do for you when you get here? Um, we're going to, we're going to, uh, I guess, put it on a dyno and do, um, I talked to Eric. We're going to do a Hawkeye, uh, basically go through the whole truck, start from top to bottom, front to back, you know, and then that way we can get a list if there is anything um, and just try to address them as we can afford to or as it needs to be, too. So, and okay, um, that's start. Yeah, that's why I was talking to Eric, and he's been so helpful, too, the last few times I talked to him, you know, and just, um, you know, what to do, because I want you guys to have the hands on it, and, you know, and uh, uh, Dean, the guy I bought it from, and they're they're their own mechanics, too, and they're one of you guys' suppliers, I guess, for the uh, 
uh, the tuner you guys have. So it, um, so it was, it was incredible just to see their shop and what they're working on too. So, um, but you know, I wanted to make sure we get it up there that way, you know, we can get a head start on it and just keep an eye on things. You know what I mean? Yo, absolutely. Absolutely. We can make a list for you of what needs to be done. What has preference, uh, anything safety wise or fuel margin, you know, at your right. convenience, you know, make changes as you need to. Yep. Good deal. Yep. That's, that sounds good. That's what I'm excited about. So, yep. But it is amazing, you know, just having connections with something and knowing a little bit of history of it and stuff like that. Cause there's a lot of junk still out there. That's still too high price. Yeah. And we're seeing a lot of, and I'm getting a lot more of this where they buy a truck and it's got the a wrong cam, wrong turbo. Now a wrong turbo is relatively easy fix. You buy a turbo and change. You start to get some internal parts that are wrong that can get expensive to make it right. And then the trucks doesn't run right until you make those changes. And generally they don't have the money. They simply just bought the truck and they didn't expect it to need a bunch of parts. So we're seeing more and more of that. So it's nice when you can get some history on the truck. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, also Kevin, thank you. Just thank you for the show. And I also started the keto diet in January. I right at 20 pounds. I lost since uh, the first week in January. Excellent, so. excellent. Feeling isn't, good. Isn't Feeling it good. crazy how easy it is to lose weight like this? Oh, my goodness. It's unbelievable. You, <laughs> it's you, changing you, your eating habits. You get to eat all kinds of really, really good food. You get to eat as much of it as you want. You never have to be hungry, and the yeah. weight just falls off. Your pains yep. go away. I can't say enough about it, even after all these years. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it is something that's for sure. So, and, and I feel, feel so good. Like it's just incredible how much better I feel. That's you know? it. That's it. And, and over the so, years in, thank, in thank all the, everything. all the other diets I tried and, and they were supposed to be so great. There were two problems. I was always hungry, which will just make you insane. And it seemed to be the only way to lose weight under yep. any of those other ways of eating was you just had to be hungry most of the time. So much so that remember when all the diet plans started adding a cheat day? So you had something. Yeah. To, now think about this. We know there's a whole bunch of food in our diet that's really bad for us and it's making us fat. So we're going to eat a certain way six days a week. And then on the Seventh day, we're just going to say, oh, throw that all away. We're going to cheat. Well, they almost had to because nobody would stick with this without it. But after a while, you realize, why am I miserable for six days of the week? And honestly, you were miserable on the seventh, too, because you overate and you felt like total (laughs) garbage because you overate. Now, I I tell people all the time, there's no exception to this. If you're eating right, you should never be hungry. If you're hungry, eat and eat until you're not hungry anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, it it works. And that's for sure. So I I appreciate it. So and just appreciate you uh, being in this industry because I don't know what we do without you. You've been a big help from I've only been listening for about a year now. So you've been a big help to me already. Fantastic. Thanks for the support. I appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll look forward to hearing back from you. Let's go to Wisconsin. Jeff, welcome to the program. Yeah, I've got a 2015 Pro Star with an ISX, and uh, I'm curious, what does it take to change out that torsional damper on it? Pete? Um, I mean, it's not terribly hard. You have, um, you know, six bolts, take the belt off. Um, they're not pressed on. Um, now, they're stuck on a little bit, take a little pry bar to get them off. 
Um, you will need a torque wrench to reinstall. Okay, so pretty yeah, basic. Basically, you can change a tire, you can change a damper. Okay, and uh, one more question. I'm, I'm looking at removing one drive axle and putting the lift axle in, and I, I do a lot of my own work. Um, I would want to retain which axle, the front one that's in here now or the rear one? I don't know, Kevin. Oh, kind of wait, out of my I, wheelhouse. I'm sorry, I was paying attention to something else. Uh, say that again. <laughs> I thought we were still talking about the damper, so I was letting you so, do it. Oh, now I moved on to to changing out my rear ends okay, and uh, removing one and putting a lift axle in. I'd want to retain which axle, the front one, and move that back. Um, well, the or way you, you you keep the rear one. Are you looking at having a lift? Yes. Then you want to. I run containers, and and fifty percent of the time I'm running empty. So I'd I'd like to just yep. you know run with a single axle as much the, as I can. The way we do that, you leave the rear drive axle in place. You pull out the front okay. with the power divider, and you put in a liftable axle on that. That's a special axle with a cutout, so it comes up around the the drive shaft. So it's got right. the axle's got the big, right. big V kind of in it. Yeah, so you, you leave the rear axle as yep. your as your drive axle, you install the lift on the front. I've seen people So then I would lose do, any kind of I, I've seen people do it the opposite okay. way. And there's a couple of reasons it's just kind of messy like that. Even the fact that now we've got to take the front axle out, move the back axle up. That's extra work that wasn't necessary. And then what happens is if you look at your fifth wheel placement it's typically sitting behind that axle. So now when you lift your axle, sure. you're taking weight, a lot of weight off your steer axle. And, and, and not in a good way, because remember, you're typically going to be doing this when you're empty. We're not worried about weight on that axle. And now you're taking more off right. because of that teeter-totter effect. I, I don't like that setup at all. No, I, and, I was more curious and, on having any kind of a locking differential. Oh, you know? if if you can, if you're doing this and you find a good true locking differential, absolutely, I would do that. No doubt. Yes. Yeah, I, and I would just do throw that. that in there. Okay. If we think about one more thing, when we make that front axle the drive, we've now shortened our effective wheelbase, and that tractor is much more likely to jackknife than a longer wheelbase. Right. I. I wasn't looking at, at moving the the drive axle forward. I was just wondering which one of the two axles I would want to keep in place. The one with the divider in it so I could lock it, you know, but uh, well, remember, no, I need a whole what, different axle with a, well, with a yeah, lock. No, we have to look at this. That power divider does not lock the front differential. It does not lock the two sides together. It would lock the front differential to the back differential. But if we don't have a back differential, the power right, divider is yeah. worthless now. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, I was thinking about it wrong. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Once, Thank you. It, once you get that, now I think you have the picture of this. You understand it. Now you look at it and go, oh, yeah, you would do it like this. Right. Correct. Yeah. I, I mean, I've installed lift axles on straight trucks and stuff. Before. Okay. Got so, it. I mean, I got the gist of doing it. I was just curious which way to, which yeah. axle to keep Yeah, it. just the easiest way All is right. you leave your rear diff in place, you build a drive shaft back to that, and then you put in that liftable front. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Hey, I just noticed, I don't know what <laughs> happened to our phone lines. They're really quiet today. We've only had a couple calls so far. Um, 
we could wrap this up at nine o'clock if you want, because we may even wrap it up a little earlier. I don't know. Uh, if we get some calls, we'll stay. If not, I've got a lot of work to do this week. So it's up to you. We'll stay as long as we've got calls. But if uh, if we're done, I'll wrap this up a little early today and I'll move on just to let you know while we're waiting to see if we get some calls coming in here. I'm working on, I don't have all the details yet because I thought of this right before I came on the air. So I sent a text out to the team. They've been working on the details, but I haven't had time to uh, check on what's going on. That's why I wasn't paying attention a second ago. I was trying to check. Um, I'm, I want to do a test live show later today. So I'm working on a commentary, which usually is a 30-minute recording or so. Sometimes it goes all the way to an hour. Today, what I'm going to do, though, I, I think, we're trying to work out the details, is we're going to broadcast that live. I'm not just going to record it in the background. We're going to broadcast it live, just like this show. You, you would hear it the same way. You're going to hear it on the app. You're going to hear it on the stream. We will be taking questions because I, I want to use this today as a test of a mobile system I'm trying to build. And I know the system has problems. I, I will be shocked if we're able to, to pull this off without any issues. I'm really hoping we can pull it off at all. But it's one of the ways, the best way for me to test things. You know, I, I worked on it yesterday and tried to test it with multiple phones and dialing in myself. And it, it's just, it, it's not a good way to test it. But I also want to let people know that expect problems. So don't show up at this recording and then start posting everywhere. Oh my God, the audio is horrible. They couldn't get their shit together. No, that's the point. I don't have my shit together. This is kind of a way for me to start to get to that point and test it. And uh, we want to test it live. So uh, watch your uh, text messages. We'll send out a text if you're on our list. We'll probably post something on Healthy Tribe, Trucking Tribe, and Twitter. And then we'll... Uh, We'll let you know when we're going to be doing that if we get it all worked out. All right, so that woke everybody up. Calls are flooding in. Obviously, you want us to stay. We're going to go to Minnesota. John, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Um, my local shop over the past four years have replaced approximately 214 Cummings injectors. 80% of them, the were okay mechanically, you know, ha having bad solenoids. The other 20% were just bad in general. The Cummings OEM injectors just having bad solenoids and fine on the mechanical side. So we do a lot of work with the N14s, and the N14 injector has been a problem for a long time. I mean, even when they were new, it hasn't gotten really any better. That amount, I'm not seeing. And we'll have one, like I said, we have that piece of equipment in the shop that's got a miss, come and go type of miss under load um, that we're, we're fooling with. And they did put a set of injectors in it, an ECM in it. But um, that amount, that number of injectors are shocking. I'm, I'm surprised Cummins is even covering that under warranty. They can be pretty stingy. I've had some dealings with them where, you know, after two or three injectors, they're like, okay, it can't be that many injectors. So let's look elsewhere. Now, has anyone looked at anything else on the truck as far as causing this type of problem? 
Yeah, well, uh, replacing the injector under warranty, and it seems to work out just fine. I mean, this is over 60 trucks over the four four years, so it's not... So this wasn't one truck having that many injectors in it? No, no. Okay, I mean, it's just that many, inje- that many injectors over the course of four years on 50, 60 trucks. We're just yeah. constantly having issues with the Cummings Reman injectors. Now, are you using the PX or the RX? Do you know? I don't know off the top of my head. I think it might have been a combination of both. So the they offer two. There's a huge price difference. The PX has a uh, two-year, 125,000-mile warranty, parts and labor. Um, the RX, one-year, 100,000 miles, no labor. And basically, that's just an, an uh, old injector that met spec, and they put it in there. The PX has new tip on it. They hold your tolerance is much tighter. It, it is a much better injector, but also a lot more money. Um, okay. Things that uh, can... <laughs> oh, excuse me. A damn cough here. Um, things that can aggravate this problem would be the fuel system sucking air, uh, fuel restriction, fuel pressure. So you also want to make sure that all that's in spec. Okay. Uh, just the issue my shop has had, I've had two injectors in the past year get replaced under under warranty when, yeah. Now, are you so. running anything, any additive like the uh, Max Mileage Catalyst, or any type of additive yes. to add electricity? Yes, and okay. that and house. So. Okay. Good. But yeah, next time you have a problem, before they pull the injector, do you guys do your own work or do you have someone else do it for you? Uh, this is another um, local shop uh, that uh, they've been doing service and work for 30 plus years. So okay. uh, pretty trusting and everything. So I. Yeah, I would check uh, for what it takes, and it doesn't take long. So, I mean, you like to roll things out, especially when it doesn't take long. We'll put a fuel pressure gauge on the truck and a restriction gauge in a sight glass at the back of the pump. Fire the truck up, get the air out of the system, rev it up to two grand, see what fuel pressure is, fuel restriction, and see if it's sucking any air. Because all that can affect not only the life of the injector, but can cause issues that act like an injector might be acting up. Yeah, it's so, just for hours spent. Um, at least you can make sure all that's correct. Yeah, everything, when they pull it out, everything mechanically on the injector is fine. It's a faulty solenoid. So that's the electronic side is what they're having issues with. So, Okay. Yeah, I have not Just seen a whole lot of electrical issues with those, but yeah, that, that can be another yeah, problem. I, with them. I haven't seen many just solenoids being bad. And that's not something I see mm-hmm. all the time or hear or get called about. Okay. Well, we'll uh, keep looking into it and try to figure it out. Thank you very much for your guys' time. Have a nice day. All right. Thanks for the call. Phone lines are all lit up. Let's get to them. We're going to go to Michigan. Lloyd, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin and the guys from Pittsburgh Power. I had a question about the one box. Um, What usually goes wrong on them? Is it the doser that wears out? And would the max mileage prolong that, or would that not affect the doser? So the... Catalyst is definitely a benefit to run, which is going to reduce soot, which will help the life of the one box. Yeah. Now, a lot of times the one box, um, and there's just a life to them. And once you get 
six, seven hundred thousand miles, they just need to replace. Yeah, usually it's the SCR that wears out first. Um, yeah, I more so than the DPS. And when, uh, the other question, the other question I was wondering about when the DPF filter starts plugging up, like I'm at four hundred and just under four hundred and seventy thousand miles on a twenty nineteen uh, Freightliner. Will it start affecting the, the fuel economy because it's more yes. back pressure or no? Yes. It so will. it's 490,000 miles or whatever you said on the original one box with no cleaning? Yeah. Yeah, you have probably a significant buildup of ash that definitely needs cleaned out. I mean, the factory recommends two to 300,000 that you clean all the ash out. So, yeah, this yeah, uh, company taken out and cleaned. I'm driving a company truck, so I've been after the mechanics the last couple of complete services, which are every, uh, I can't think in miles right now, it's in kilometers because I'm out of Canada, every 60,000, so that's about 36,000 miles or something, around 40, somewhere in there. And uh, I've been passing them because the last truck I had in 2014 it was just giving me pure aggravation a couple times, so we finally switched out the filter because it kept uh, it kept wanting a forced regen, so I'd have to go to a TA service place uh, at a truck stop because they're authorized for Freightliners to hook the computer up to make it do a burn, and then they finally changed it. So I'll have to keep working on them, I guess, because I know my fuel economy's been going down a bit, and I figure that's what's causing it, other than on top of being wintertime, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah I had no, one, sure. one comment. I, I almost got our fleet. We've got 50 trucks, and I thought two years ago I had them sold on the max mileage catalyst because we have maybe 10 drivers out of 50 or maybe 12 that run long stuff where they go out two to seven or eight days, whereas everybody else pretty well gets fuel from the yard or they might go out overnight. So my theory was to buy four jugs or enough to treat 20,000 gallons when our, our terminal tank's full and then give everybody a quart bottle on the long haul guys and try it for three months and just pick out six or six or eight trucks. So a few long haul guys and some of the local guys and that and see if it makes a distant difference. And uh, I had given them the article that Bruce uh, wrote for the moving out newspaper that had a letter in it from a guy in Wallenstein, Ontario, Vermont Transport. I believe that he's a satellite tuner for you guys. Yeah. Yep. You know that name? Yeah, and so yeah, the operations manager or the technical manager from that fleet knows the guy that is our operations manager and one of the owners of our company, but they didn't go for it. So I'm thinking if I keep bugging them about uh, prolonging the life of a one box, I might get their arm twisted enough that they finally get with the program, but I'm not, I'm not getting my hopes too high. And uh, another comment for Kevin, there was a fellow called in last week about the train that derailed in Lake Magnus. Lake Megantic up in Quebec. Yeah. You recall? And um, that train actually, what happened there, it was parked on a grade outside of town, and they were switching the locomotive crew. So they'd leave the train running, idling, just sitting there by itself, and the other crew hadn't shown up yet, and they only set the handbrakes on like four or five out of 20 or 30 tank cars loaded with crude, and it rolled away. That's what caused that derailment up there. Got it. I think... um I think I vaguely remember a movie with, um, oh, shoot, I can't think of the actor. Really good black actor. Uh, I don't watch many movies, so I can picture him, but I can't think of his name right now. But um, they made a, a movie about that exact thing. A train was parked there. There was a new engineer that was supposed to be responsible for it, and he got out and went to check on something, and the train took off. And then something bumped the throttle, and this thing was running 
you know, high speed and they had to try to chase it and figure out how to stop it without killing a bunch of people. And uh, probably uh, a good movie to yeah, go the, rewatch. The uh, same thing happened in the Rocky Mountains, um, I think three years ago in near Rocky's Pass where the new crew got on the locomotive and the air had bled off and the previous crew had only set a couple of handbrakes on the cars and it lost pressure and it took off and killed both of them and derailed about 60 cars out in the mountains and uh which was unfortunate but i think they've changed the laws in canada anyway that they have to set the handbrakes on just about every every rail car now but and anyway okay yeah. guys thanks a lot that's all i got have a good day all right thanks for the call that's all we need we're gonna head off to oklahoma paul morning howdy um, the guy that was going to change one drive axle out to a lift axle, well, he's automatically changing the wheelbase length of that truck. I'm thinking he probably knows that, but because of a six by four track, do you have the measure from the center of the front wheel to the center between the two axles, whereas a six by two, you measure from the front axle to the center of the drive axle whether it's the front axle or the back axle. And there's no G in Cummins, by the way. Did I say or that? the other guy. Oh. <laughs> no. No, no. No, just, you didn't. No. Okay. Just checking. I didn't okay. get a whole lot of sleep last night, so I'm not all that sharp today, and my <laughs> mind's on 10 other things. So I could have. Who knows? No, you, did, you didn't say it, but you said about – I think he was a little confused maybe because you said about – um, moving the the axle forward, well, you were talking about moving the back axle forward, which that's a dumb idea if you ask me. But right, because um, I think he was thinking about doing that. But you're better off to leave the rear axle where it is and make well, the dummy axle it, the front axle. It, it's less you, work. You actually change the wheelbase of the tractor. Right, yeah. it's yeah. less work, and, and you get much better results. Better in- <laughs> right, it. it I, I, I just, yeah. I, I've seen a couple people do it the other way, and I could never figure out why. What What is the reason for doing this? The only reason I, I would do that, and actually, I had a tractor exactly like this. My The very first tractor I ever owned was a front drive and a rear tag. And in that situation, it made a ton of sense because it was a day cab. And I did local P&D work, yeah. 30 stops a day. Having that back axle off the ground and shortening that wheelbase made it really nice to get trailers into tight places. Yeah. But I would never do it. Old GMC Astro? No, that was the, um, it was a 79 white road boss that I bought from Roadway. The truck oh, probably okay. had 3 million miles on it by the time I had it. And honestly, if we think about it, Pete, did, didn't they used to replace those six V ninety twos at about three hundred thousand miles? That's an engine we've never fooled with. Really, uh, I don't think I've ever had a. It was it was a fleet engine. Yeah, that was a fleet engine, and they were uh, roadway and and the big LTL carriers that used them. If you went into their shops, they had crates, they had racks of those engines. And I think at about three hundred thousand miles, they yanked them out and just put another one in, and you could do that job in a day. It wasn't that difficult of a job back then. It was pretty damn simple. And my guess is that that truck that I bought, I'll bet it had somewhere between five and 10 engines in it in its lifetime. It had two gauges, a speedometer and an air gauge. That was it. 
It had no power steering, no air conditioning. It didn't even have a radio in it. I mean, th- this thing was the most bare-bones truck I've ever seen. It was probably quicker to change the whole engine than it was to change the, the bearings. It, it, it was. I mean, and, you know, even um, when we were working a lot with Fitzgerald and, and building the gliders, they had that down to such a system and it was so easy to, to throw an engine in one. And um, I, I remember Robert, the son, when he was like 16 or 17, he had worked on them so long. He got a, a group of his friends and they built one in 24 hours. Yeah, it's probably one of those problem ones we hear about. (laughs) (laughs) Could could be, who knows? Now, they had a pretty darn good system. I will give them that. Yeah, Yeah, well, they built more gliders than anybody else. Absolutely. And, um, you know, towards the end, things kind of fell apart in a lot of ways, but um, they they definitely had a system. and, And they weren't cranking out junk until they started pushing it with the blocks that they should not have been building with. That that was the biggest downfall, and, and the problem trucks all came from those blocks. It wasn't the way they were building the glider. I mean, I think their glider builds were, were good quality. Yep. It just yeah, wasn't any more by. Exactly. Just that they were, they were doing yeah. what they could. You know, I, I really think that they should have pivoted and tried to find all the N14s they could have found. Yeah, those are so much more rebuildable. Right. They really are a lot Simple, of... Simple, uh, bulletproof. Yeah. Yeah. You need a line bore them when there was a lot of life left in those things. I agree. I just don't think oh, we, we used got, enough of the on. N14s. All right, Paul, that's all we need. We are... Oh, he hung up. I almost dropped Pittsburgh Power because he hung up on me just when I was getting to click it. Let's go to Iowa. David, welcome to the program. Morning, Kevin. What's on your mind today? Hey, um, well, I'm going to throw a couple numbers at you real quick, and then we'll move on to the gear ratios. Last year, I ended up grossing, I believe it was $284,000 on 96,000 miles. So that was, uh, no, it was thousand dollars on 96,000 miles. So it was like $2.84 a mile. I kept about a dollar twenty of it, but the best part of it is I only worked 177 days. Okay, that's awesome. So you know, I just I thought I think it was pretty interesting. I'd like yeah. to dig into them a little bit more when we got some more time. Yeah, uh, talk about maintenance and all of that. But um, I'm looking at I'm driving a 2003 Columbia. It is 12,000 miles short of 2 million miles. And I'm thinking about the rear ends have never been touched. I've redone the power divider a time or two, but the rear, back rear end has never been touched. So I'm thinking about re-gearing this thing just because I don't think the gear, rear ends owe me anything anymore. Right. But I'd like to change it to direct drive. This thing right now, it's a 13-speed double over, low pro 22s. And it's got 373 gears in it. I run 65 or less. I'm at about 1,500 RPM. What kind of gears would I need to put in it to get where I want to be? So what engine did you say? It's a, it's a 6NZ cap. Okay. And I've got all the speeds, tire size, transmission. Uh, 
264s. That's really kind of the sweet spot on that engine. We've done it a ton of times with the with those, you know, those kind of late 90s, early 2000s, right before emissions. We can run almost all of those on the 264s. You might push it once in a while and go to, say, a 250 on a cat. I don't know. We can run them a little lower, but it's not worth. They're hard to find. 264s are common. We've done it enough times. You don't lose anything on the startability. So that's a, a really good, solid ratio for that. You know what you're going to find? That ratio in direct is going to give you very similar results to your 370, 373s in 13th. So 11th, you're going to start seeing an RPM range in 11th that looks a lot like yours does now in 13th. Okay. That's, that's what I was thinking. I'd heard you guys say it enough times that that's what I thought, but I wanted to double check it. Now, I've got a, a buddy that wants to do the same thing to an N14. He set up the same way, but it's an N14. He'd like to drop his RPM about 100, about 100 to run about 1,400. Would that still be the same gear ratio? Uh, what ratio are we starting from? God, I, I am scattered today. I apologize. Got, I'm just all over the board right now. Yeah, he's he's running three. He's running three seventies right now. Oh yeah, thirteen I, double three, over same tire. Three seventy, three seventy three to two sixty four. They're so close. You you can't measure the RPM difference unless you're using a digital gauge. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. That's what I needed to know for the day, man. All right. Good stuff. Thanks for the call. I uh, appreciate it. I've, I've got to wake bet. up here. I've got to wake up and focus. I did not get a good night's sleep last night. I had been working on my sleep, and this happens sometimes. I'll get two or three really good nights of sleep, which I got. I was feeling fantastic. And then what happens is, like, even though I really only sleep about five, five and a half hours a night on a good night, uh, but it was good deep sleep, good REM sleep. I felt great. But what happens, it's almost like after a couple of days of that, I don't need sleep anymore. Last night, I just, I, I shut my mind down nice and relaxed, nice and comfortable. Brain would not go to sleep last night. So I'm struggling a little today and I've got a lot of work to get done where um, I got to go down and look That's at. That's funny because I had trouble sleeping. Did you really? You guys need to do more if you can't. And it was Do like more. Every, I, I fell what are you talking about? I woke up. <laughs> I don't know. I sleep like a baby every night. I do, I do hey, something hey, all day. Oh. And I go home and I'm tired. Hey, hey, I Leroy. I while driving. Leroy, I can say I sleep like a baby too. I get ev up every two hours and I want something to eat and I have to pee. That's how babies sleep. I don't know why everybody says I sleep like a baby. Babies don't sleep good. We know that. Every new parent complains about them. I don't we, know. That's it, a, it's a phrase. I know. I know. It's, it's one of those phrases that when I hear it, I'm like, why does it, it? There's a lot of those, though. Why, when we're talking about phrases and cliches, why does fat chance mean the exact same thing as slim chance? Ooh, that's a good why, one. Why should you look before you leap, but he who hesitates is lost? Ooh, I know. That's a good one. Aren't those good? That's why this up at night, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, right. that's, why I can't that's, sleep. that's why I can't sleep. You're exactly right. Yeah, that's it. So a couple weeks ago, Bruce asked you about 
you know, asleep and, and he's taking something you have. But you had, I, I didn't think about it until you said this, where you said, I am tired, but not sleepy. Right. And I think that's where I'm at. Yep. You know, wired I'm, I'm and tired. Tired, I'm tired, but I'm not sleepy. Yep. We call it wired and tired. Your body is exhausted and it wants to rest and your brain won't. Yeah, I think that's what I got going on. Yeah, so that's what mm-hmm. I was. And like I say, I, I would, I, I get to a point where I, I know all the things I need to do in a day so I can get a good night's sleep that night. And if I focus on them and I do them, my sleep starts improving, everything gets better. And then I get to this point where it's almost like I have so much energy. And, and Leroy, I kind of jokingly said something, but you are correct. What I need is more physical activity. I, I, those are the days where yesterday I was writing and recording and making notes and staring at a screen all day long and working on this audio system. And I, I hardly moved at all. Very little physical activity that that's, you are correct about that. That is a big part of the problem. Yeah, yeah, you go out and do something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, got to get some. Get tired. That's the sure. the other thing I've got to be careful of, though, is if I get that physical activity too late in the day, it'll do the opposite. It'll kind of energize my body even, and then my brain's still going. My body's more energized. See, you got to watch the timing of that. You should probably do that before about five yeah, o'clock no, in the day. That happens to me too. Yeah, if I work out too late, yeah, yeah then I can't sleep. You, you get all energized, and you want to go do something and not sleep. So. Yeah, I know. All right, we've got uh, we've got questions. We're going to get to them. We might even have answers. Uh, Rob in Illinois, it's your turn. I have a question about Pat Car. All right, I've got a 2022. Got a 2022 Pat Car, five ten horse, eighteen fifty torque. Supposed to. It's what they claim. And they're having problems with the injectors on the new the, the new ones from twenty two on. They've changed the injector system on the injectors them to a different style. They're having quite a few problems with it. And I've, I've called in the past and asked about the, uh, the programming. How long does it take? And I know this doesn't fix the injector problem, but how long will it be before you guys have a program where you can work on one of the newer pack car engines for my first question? Yeah, we don't really have a timeline on it unless we come up with a way to break the security and get in there ourselves. Um, we're sort of waiting on a third-party company to uh, figure that out for us. I mean, we're busy, you know, fixing trucks and doing all sorts of other things, and we're not really busy working on, uh, you know, figuring out the new stuff like that. So um, we're just waiting on a third-party company until they figure out a way to crack it. So what they're what they are doing down there is they're, they're uh, we have two of them right now. Uh, they're newer. The other trucks newer than this one. And what they do is they flush the injector. It's almost it sounds like an injector knock in an old like in a really cold N14 or anyway, it knocks a little bit at an idle and they take them down there and they flush them. They don't even, they haven't even, so you almost got to make threats to them and they'll, they'll put some injectors in. Of course, they're only allowed to do what Packard tells them to do, but flushing them just hasn't worked very well. And um, they're telling everybody or they're telling lots of people, I should say, use that power service in the gray jug. So we have, but you, um, and it seems to help on the top end. And I had a check engine light for quite a while. And it actually, I couldn't believe it, but it actually went out after we've used so much of it. And again, I, we've mentioned to the owner and some other people about the catalyst. And um, 
but this is what PACCAR is telling us to put in there. And we're trying to kind of stay with whatever they say. But it's so it's so bad on on the bottom end. It's, it, you, it was 57 degrees out here in Illinois the other day, and the truck won't start unless it's plugged in. If you park it inside of a, a heated shop, like one that's probably 50 degrees, it won't start. you got to plug it in. It makes it di- all the difference in the world. You can crank and crank and crank on this thing, on these, and unless you have them plugged in, it's about the most ridiculous thing. And they they kind of say they've admitted to the injector problem, but they don't have a fix for it yet. Yeah, it's sort of all over the. Uh, I mean, there's a page on Facebook I follow. I think it's like a Packard problem solver, and yeah, I see that injector on their that injector issue on there all the time. And a lot of people are saying the same thing that you are, you know, just do a flush and recalibrate. I'm not quite sure what that's supposed to be fixing, but yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds like it's a, it's a really big issue. It's not just like isolated incidents. It's uh, something they really need to fix. The funny thing about it is, is the truck's a year old. So the next truck, it's a, it's got 40,000 miles on it. This one's got 105, but you run across other people in fleets and, you know, fleets tend to buy once they start with buying one kind, they go right down the line. The back car rear ends that they send out that they have now, and uh, the engines, and uh, they're they're doing the same thing. And it's it's the amount of downtime. You know, when you got 700 trucks, not saying they don't have extras, but boy, it's a little bad when you you've got to spend as much money as they do on the new truck nowadays. You got to keep three or four old ones around just so you can. The downtime of them flushing it is uh, you know at least two days. And the trip, you know, it's um, it's never went down. But boy, I tell you what, if that isn't aggravating on a 57 degree day, and you got to plug block, plug a truck in to get it to start, you know, on your 2022 uh, truck. Yeah. 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 I mean, you can give it. You can even get you. You know, you get so frustrated because the new trucks too. He cranks on them very long, and that's the other thing. You got to turn these things over, even when they're warmed up. You shut it off. You have to crank on it a long, long time. It's almost like it's got something. It'd be like similar to the old trucks where you had the air in the fuel filter when you didn't get primed quite right. But it does that all the time. And you know, the one time I was trying to, I, I pulled a tanker. And want to leave in the morning. I mean, I thought, well, we'll just give it a little whiff. Starting flood, it doesn't even phase it. Usually, most engines will, you know, they'll react. But it's uh, that drop cord thing is the most ridiculous thing. And uh, I was just wondering if you guys have heard anything, or if you guys are you guys replacing any of those out there? We really don't get any Packards in our shop. Okay. I mean, I see maybe a handful yeah. a year. But yeah, the, the issue that you're saying that I've definitely heard about it. Um, like I said, I see it all over social media. People always complaining about it. I haven't seen any sort of official release or anything, mm-hmm. you know, um, explaining. I would want to know what's, why are they flushing? Is it in, are they saying it's like injector deposits or something? They don't have enough injectors is what they're saying. You could to satisfy what's going on through the whole system, you know? And so when, when they, they don't have enough of the, to replace the injectors with, you know, but why are they? Why do they need replace so soon? Because they're they're that's when they hook it up to their laptop. They are saying there's something wrong with that injector. I mean, Packard is telling them to flush the injectors like the that's like cleaning a spark plug almost and putting a bad one back in. The terminology yeah. that I would refer to, you know, and, and that's being in a nice way. But um, they uh, they put they say and they don't really come out of it very well either. But they don't have enough replacement injectors in the whole system 
to keep everybody happy. So they, well, they say, well, just, it. yeah. They and they and start with. I guess that what they're saying is they, they, they are telling us that they have a problem with that, whoever's making the injector, and they're trying some out now, but they got to have them in test trucks, you know, right off the bat. But th- then they just say, well, use this, this power service that's in the gray thing. And it does smooth some things out. You can tell a little bit difference. And I, I think it might have had something to do with this check engine light going out. But, my God, everybody's saying we spend that much money on a brand-new truck. Why should you – you shouldn't have these problems. And if they're saying if everybody's having that, there should be a recall. But they just don't have enough injectors or any new injectors or new styles to replace them with, you know? It's, yeah, it's what the they changed it to? I, I wonder if the – like an EPA-21 injector is uh, backwards compatible. I mean, did they just change the like the tip design? Because what if you could just get away with putting a 21 injector in it? Is it physically the same? It just has different tip like spray angles or something? No, that's not possibly the when greatest they, solution. But would it work? No, yeah, because the, the the mechanics that we're talking about said that the the, the previous the previous injectors were okay, and mm-hmm. I, I mentioned that to him too because we have another one that's getting an overhaul done and saying, well, if you're getting a new head for this, can we use? Can you try to pull those injectors out while we're waiting and see if that cured? And they, they that's they say it won't work, or that's what they told me anyway. But and I imagine they know what they're talking about. They must have completely redone the style of the injector spray pattern or something. But uh, that, um, my gosh, yeah, I mean it's uh, and it doesn't seem like it's just on once in a while trucks. Pretty consistent on the 22s and newer. Yeah, no, I, I definitely know what you're talking about. It's ridiculous when you park it in a building and you got in a heated shop and you got to plug it in. Otherwise, it won't start. It's uh, but once you get it started during the day, runs just great, you know, or runs okay. When you get it, when you're driving about the first two miles, it almost it feels like it's got an injector missing on it. So you get it up, warm it up, which they warm up really quick, and they come out of it. But um, it's uh, I was just curious to see about the tune and, and if you guys have heard any things to solve this problem with. No, I haven't. I haven't even seen one in person. Um, but yeah, I definitely have heard of the issue, and I don't have a solution. So, I'm sure the people at the Mid at the Mid American Truck Show they're going to light that booth up when they have those guys show up down there. So, <laughs> I'll bet that's not going to be a good one down there. So, well, thank you very yeah. much for helping me. Yeah, no problem. Have a great day. You're welcome. Thank Thanks you. for the call. Calls are still flooding in, so we'll keep taking them. We'll go to Wisconsin. Brad, welcome to the program. Ooh, let me try that again. What happened? Bueller. Uh, there Bueller. we go. There we go. There's Brad. the beep. There we go. Welcome. <laughs> so I got a 5EK cat, and I've never ran the overhead on it myself, but it's been done many of times. And I want to learn how to do it myself. Could you kind of walk me through it a little bit? If it was N14, I could do it. The cats, I haven't done many of them, and it's been a long time. That'd be something you'd have to call one of my um, the shop foreman after the show and uh, see if he could help you out with that. Okay, well, then I'll have to do that. I mean, it, generally, it's all the same way. So you got to have, you, know, you rotate the engine, and you get filter gauges for your intake, valve, exhaust valve, your jake brake. And then on the cat, they have a tool that you, you set your injector height with. So you know, the overheads are 
generally similar, but there's some just different ways. Some engines will use a um, a uh, inch pound torque wrench to set the injectors. Uh, Cat and I think Detroit use a tool for the height. You set it that way, but you know, in essence, it, it's very similar. And you do it one cylinder at a time. You go to one cylinder. You set um, all the tolerances with you, you know, the feeler gauge one at a time. And uh, I don't know about the height tool. I've never seen the height tool, but I don't do that stuff. Yeah. So. I'm pretty sure it's the cats now that have that. I can tell you how to set an uh, NTC. They want to hear that. Oh. <laughs> Hi, well, thanks for the help you had. I'll give a shop a call after the show. Yeah, it's just fine. Call you help you out. Tell him you talked to us at the show, and um, he can give you a brief rundown on, on the overhead. All right, thank you. You're welcome. All right, we'll move on. We are off to Tennessee this time. James, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. What's on your mind today? Uh, Coming out of Louisville, Kentucky, going north on 71, there at the 34-mile marker, if you look over the bridge at the railroad tracks, that whole bank is given away. State police don't care. CSX don't care. But it's right there by the interstate and a pretty good-sized creek. And I, I talked to CSX. They said that uh, it's not as bad as it looked. Of course not. That's what but they're saying might, about everything. I, I completely disagree. I think this whole disaster is 10 times worse than what they're trying to make it out to be. Yeah, I thought maybe some of your other drivers could look at it and see what they think. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm going to get something the, done or not. You know, I, it, I go through there twice a day. Here's the thing. When we found out that we have a thousand train derailments a year, come on, something is horribly wrong with that system. Imagine if we allowed any kind of a safety record like that in aviation. Right. If you had a thousand incidents with planes a year, heads would roll. This is no different, though. This this we now know what a disaster this can be. You know, I'm thinking about this myself. I have an awful lot of money invested in property in the gorge, the Columbia River Gorge. I have some property in Oregon where I live here and some other properties here. And I have some property over in Washington. That's been my retirement plan for the last decade. And both sides of the gorge have train tracks. I, I could lose an awful lot of money if we had some sort of a disaster like that. Property values plummet because of this. That's just the economical impact. Forget the, I mean, if that were to happen here, I I would walk away from every property I had and start over someplace else if I had to. I would not live in a place that had been polluted like that. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. It's right beside the interstate. There's a big creek there, but yet it seems like nobody cares. That seems to be, let's just, you know, cover this up as much as we can. Let's just move along. Let's not let people ask too many questions. The, the testing they're doing is a joke. I, I've watched it. It is such poor testing. Um, I talked the other day about a guy who, who does water testing because he was in an area a couple of decades ago that was contaminated. He suffered health-wise because of it. And he started developing better test methods. And as soon as I saw it, it made total sense. You watch them dip a little bit of water near the edge of a stream off the top, and then they test it. Well, he takes these big, giant, you know, sponges that look like 
you know, a group of octopuses together. They've got tentacles coming out everywhere. And they're about the size of a bowling ball when they start. And he has three of them on a line at different depths. And he throws it out into the middle of the river or creek or stream. And it sits there for sometimes 24 hours. And then they can clip off parts of these sponges test it, put the others back out there and see a chronological. Now, doesn't that seem so much better? Why, why isn't that the way it's done? Yeah. I know exactly why it's but not done that way. But call- if it were done that way, they would find all the contaminants and they'd have to do something about it. And they don't want to. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the first time I called them about it, uh, I actually called the wrong railroad company. But I was when I was trying to tell them, you know, off of Interstate 71 there at Mile Marker 34, they were like, well, we don't know where that's at. I'm like, okay, well, we're talking about a potential hazard here, possible derailment site. And, you know, you could look it up, but they act like they didn't even want to look it up. They weren't concerned. Yeah, I know. that That seems to be their whole attitude. They don't even try to hide it. We're, we're hey— Hey, this is really affecting Pennsylvania, isn't it, Pete, Leroy? I mean, this is a concern for the state of Pennsylvania, too, right? It's right on the border. Absolutely. Didn't, I'm didn't, still kicking, so. Yeah. Didn't um, didn't Pennsylvania elect a senator to, to fix stuff like this? Where's he? I don't know. Yeah, nobody does. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen that much, but... Yeah, nobody does. He he went in the hospitals for severe depression, and we're not sure if he's alive anymore. Oh, um, Fetterman. Yeah, yeah, Who? Fetterman. Uh, Fetterman. He's oh, really? He's, he went into he's the dead. hospital twice since he's since he's been elected. He went in once for uh, I forget what the first reason was. He just wasn't stroke? feeling good or something. Well, he had the stroke oh, during the campaign, stroke. right? Oh, yeah. But then after he was yeah, he elected, he went to the hospital. I think he just said he wasn't feeling good or something. And then he got out. And within less than a week, he was back in. And they were claiming it was major depression and he was going to be treated long term. Well, what's happening right now, nobody's heard from him since. I follow both him and his wife on Twitter. He hasn't tweeted in a long time. And she's on vacation she in Niagara kids. Falls. Yeah, she went on vacation with yeah, the kids. And, and you know, they claim... Where you got day? Right. The, the conspiracy theory is, and we know the difference between the conspiracy theory and the truth. You know what the difference between those is, right? About six do, months. Do, 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 do tell. About six months. <laughs> That's the difference. So the conspiracy theory on this one is if if it were found out that he is incapable of doing his job right now, they would have to have a special election, which would include Republicans and Democrats. If they can make it to a certain date, and I think it might be August, which seems like a long way to try to pull this off, then the Democrats could just replace him with somebody. You know the difference between blackmail and a plea bargain? <laughs> no. Six months. Now one's legal and one's not. <laughs> I thought I had that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. I'm sure I'll be talking a, a lot about that kind of stuff even more in this afternoon if I can put this show together. So if anybody's interested in that stuff, I'll, I'll stop for now and you can, we'll pick up on that later.
All right, James, anything else? No, I'm good. Thank you, sir. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Illinois. Jim, welcome to the program. Hello. Um, I'm calling on the PACCAR issue is deposits on the injectors. And uh, I have a thought. I have actually got a new truck being built in June. And I was thinking of running the fast system, which would filter the fuel out better with the max mileage and possibly the hotshot secret um, cetane booster. And just wondering if you guys thought that that might help because it sounds like it's a fuel issue with the injectors getting deposits. I mean, they, they run the same fuel as everybody else. Nobody else has injector issues. What about their injector that sucks? Yeah, I mean, when they well, say at the point that's telling me there's a deposit, a carbon buildup or something, right. I'm guessing, but I, I don't know for sure. Yeah, but why just the Packard has the issue and no, nothing else does, you know? I wonder if combustion's getting up past the tip, which would have the fuel went matter. It's so generally when the plunger comes down, it seeds tight so that combustion can't come back through under it's coming back through there and putting some deposits on at that point. I don't know. It could. My salesman said that they're supposed to have this issue solved, but he hasn't gotten a um, email on it yet. So, but he was, he was kind of against when I suggested putting a fast system on and an OPS that I needed to, he would put something into the engineer to get it okay for warranty. Well, that should have no effect on the warranty unless that part caused the failure. So you put a fast system on it and the filters collapse and wipes out the injectors. Of course, they're not going to cover it because another okay. part caused it. But if that wasn't the case, they can't blame it on the fast system. Same with the OPS. If you have an issue and that part did not cause the problem, they can't, I mean, they will try to blame it on it, but legally they can't. Okay. Would you suggest I go ahead and request permission for it or ask for forgiveness if something happens? <laughs> right. I mean, it would have to prove that that part caused a failure. Right. Okay. Anything else? Nope, that was it. I was just, well, like I said, I was just trying to figure it out myself before I got my truck. That's why. And I just thought maybe cleaning the fuel up a little better might help. Got it. All right. It could, but I'm not sure where the issue lies. Nobody knows. Okay, that was it. All right. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Let's go to right here in uh, Hood River. David, welcome to the program. Hey, you got my oil sample sitting there? I don't know. Heavily transport. Let me go check. I had 16 other things going on, but uh, I'll bet I do. <laughs> there it is. Chicken embryo hauler, I think. Yeah, there it is. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, the, the team came through. Yeah. So this is, uh, am I reading this right, an L9 Cummins? No, no, it's a D13. It should have, uh, oh, maybe we minute. made a mistake. Wait, no, maybe, auto I, maybe, I have, maybe I have more than one. No, it, it is David Hendrickson. Oh, it's a D13. Yeah. Heavenly Transport? That's me, okay. your neighbor. I, I had two Oh, samples. I live up here from you. That's right. Um, yeah, there should be. Yeah, I think the first sample, I made a mistake. I didn't know how to upload it, so there you go. Anyways, uh, what do you think? It's 9.53 on the clock, and I just had the rods and mains dust off. So uh, you're running Schaefer. How do you like it? 
I love it. I, uh, I, I'm not, I've been doing samples, huh? I was going to say, I recommended Schaefer for a lot of years. I think it's a great oil. Yeah. Well, they have a 540 OTR now. I'm really impressed with it. And it run. it seems like I, the first sample at 20 usually is really good. The second sample at 40 really isn't. And start showing some signs, but uh, so my I had the clutch replaced. My biggest, the aluminum is what I'm worried about. Yeah, and the aluminum is happening because of the silicon. We got to get the silicon out of there. That's dirt. It's abrasive. Oh, the dirt. Yep. Oh, should be less than ten. Okay, at so that would make. And so. For oh for silica, so the aluminum wears from silica, and oh. I had the pan off. Uh, that might have something to do with it. I did so, have the pan off to change the oil level uh, sensor. So, so here's the way to that think was of, last month. Here's the way to think of silicon. Think of sand, and what would happen if you throw yeah. a handful of sand into your engine? Every metal in there is going to show wear. Yeah, right. You know, and that makes perfect sense. I never even thought about that. I was thinking the back gear train, but I know that it had, the engine had been out right before I bought it, right before 500,000, and it had well, had all the gears changed out in it or whatever they did to it anyway. So I know that was fixed, right? In and, most, but I was worried about the bottom end. In most engines, the aluminum is an upper cylinder component. You know, lead and copper, right. iron, we worry about just about everywhere, but lead and copper right. kind of bottom end, aluminum, and some of the other weird metals, more top end kind of stuff. So what would be on the top end that's aluminum in the Volvo head? <sighs> specifically on the, 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 the D13, I'm not sure specifically on that one. Yeah. The head's not, the head has less than 200,000, basically. The motor's all new except for the cylinders, so... Yeah, so new jugs in it. a little bit of wear metals will, will go up because of new parts. New parts tend to shed a little more wear uh -huh. metal in the beginning, so that could be a part of it. But right. when, when dirt gets that high, we know wear metals are going to go up. And that makes sense. So I'm going to change my air filter this week, and I called Fleet Air Filters, and they're going to build me a filter when oh, they get excellent. moved. So good, good. Uh, we're gonna go that. We're gonna go that route. I feel better so, about that because I was getting a little bit worried. Because so here's one of the things we want to do. If you've got a paper filter in there, the one thing we know about paper filters: the longer they're in the truck, the better they filter, because the more dirt they accumulate, oh, the more dirt they continue to accumulate. So. We change out a filter to get better airflow, but we could almost uh -huh. see this number go up. There may be a tear in the filter somewhere. It may not be sealing correctly inside the housing. You may have a breach somewhere else in the right. intake system. So we really have to go look for some sort of a reason why that dirt got in there because an old filter usually right. isn't the reason. That's usually the opposite. As we see an air filter, a paper right, air filter get sense. older and older and older, we actually see silicon go down. Hmm. It's been there. It's been in there a while. But like I said, that we did the overhead, too, in September, as well as the rods and mains. That, and the month before that, we changed. The reason I did the rods and mains is because I started seeing some copper after we replaced the clutch and the transmission and the vibration damper. If you see three three samples back it was real colorful so i went and had all that done right after i did the transmission so Got the it. overhead and the rods and mains so 
Yeah. It's kind of odd how that changed, must have changed so much inside of the crank. You know what? Area. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of weird. One of the things I'm noticing now that I look historically, I'm going all the way back to July of 21. And I'm going to go through your yeah. I'm going to go through your silicon readings. And remember, we really want to uh-huh. stay under ten. And you were five back in July of 2021. Then it was ten, eleven, mm-hmm. eleven, twelve, and sixteen. I think we've got a leak somewhere, a breach mm-hmm. somewhere that's keeping that number high. That would be on the intake side, right? March of 21, huh? The, yeah, I had the turbo done in March in. March of 22, so... You know, all of uh, this work mm-hmm. over time, the head, taking off the pan, the turbo, yeah. all of those things can be the reason we have dirt in there as well. So it, it's the dirt right. causing the problem, but it could be either or both. It could be just all the work that keeps being done and we okay. keep opening up the engine, or it could be a yeah. breach in the intake system, or it could be both. That my preferred method on the intake system is smoke test it. No, yeah, I guess I could do that. Yeah, I know that you can. I smoke cigars. Maybe I should try that, huh? <laughs> there you go. There you go. I, I get I think, the stogie out. <laughs> I, I think my, Pete, help me out here, but I think it would take about six really good stogie smokers to generate enough, right? You're gonna need some friends. Get me and my son-in-law. Yeah, you're gonna need some friends. So I'll just have to find a way to get a smoke detector, a smoke tester, and try that and see what happens, huh? Do you know anybody in an automotive garage? Nah, I used to, but he's gone. Yeah, I could take it to the dealer. I used, I used a Hermiston dealership. They could do it. Truck dealer or car dealer? That's the Northwest there in, in uh, truck Hermiston I, Northwest equipment. I've got a good hey, relationship with them. So, Hey Pete, if you had to guess how many truck shops have smoke machines, I would say very few. They're pricey. Really? And, oh, really? And they don't have other than this test that we actually developed. When I say we, uh, I was talking earlier about Robert Fitzgerald, him and I owned a shop together for a little while and we developed this test and we, it was accidental. We bought the smoke machine thinking we would be able to test for air leaks. And it was a horrible failure. It, there, it just won't work. You, you can't keep enough smoke suspended in the air because you're trying to force it through tiny little openings all over that air system. So it was a total failure. We had spent all the money on it. We couldn't take it back. And we bought a really nice expensive one. And we were just sitting around one day talking about it. And somebody was working on a, you know, pressure testing a charger cooler. And it, almost at the same time, we looked at each other and said, what if we just blew smoke through it? And then we thought, well, wait a minute. If we're using smoke, we could test the whole system really easy. And, you know, we came up with a couple fittings for the machine and blocked off the air cleaner on the other side with a garbage bag. And voila, we had a new test. So it's almost impossible didn't to find t- them in a truck shop. Didn't you pull a vacuum off uh, the VNL air intake by covering the intake and then uh, and then putting a plug on the because it's all going to be right there, right, all the way through the turbo into the so, intercooler. So what we right do in is, those areas is we take the port out of the intake manifold. 
So we start the smoke at the intake uh-huh. manifold, and then oh. we, we put a plastic bag okay. over the air cleaner, and you run the smoke from the intake all the way back through the system. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Well, could could it be that the I go to Great Falls every every week, twice a week? Could it be the sand and the uh, salt and different things like that? That I mean, it's it's a dusty job, so. Could it be that? Yes. Could it be yep. environmental Absolutely. part of it? Yep, it can. And, so, it, and it, all it's been an incredibly rough winter. So Yeah, so here's the thing. If you've got a really, really dirty environment, then sometimes we don't recommend mm-hmm. the fleet air filter. It, it's too much work. It's Oh, really? Yeah. Now, again, it's usually pretty extreme. You know, we've never seen mm-hmm. it in an operation where you know, 70% is on road and then 30% might be in it. I mean, it's almost like if if you're spending more than half of your time in a really dirty environment, then I don't recommend the fleet air filter. I don't, I don't don't think so. I mean, I take the freeway and I run up to 200. So, right. But in the winter time, it's really dusty, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's the case. I'm still going to order up that fleet air filter and then we'll just keep an eye on it i guess and so, the other thing when I you do are, samples every 20 grand yeah and when you are in a dirtier environment and you are going to use the fleet air filter i would get at least two sets of wraps and then you keep one clean and oiled and when yours gets dirty you just oh, swap it uh-huh. out so because what will happen is you go oh you know i'm busy okay. i don't have time this week so i always have a set right. sitting there oiled cleaned ready to go throw those in then the next weekend or whenever I have time, I clean the other set them in no hurry. And then I've got that one sitting there waiting. So do they sell the spray there too? The oil, the yep. spray oil to put on it, or can you buy That's, it at like an auto parts store? No, okay. they, they sell it. Clots. So buy it from them. Yeah. Clots oil. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that all sounds good. I'll give that a shot and see what happens. I was a little concerned uh, with the, like I said, the aluminum going up. Yeah, I thought maybe yeah. it's that gear train in the back, but it's already been all replaced, and I'm not getting any noises. When yeah. they had the pan off, it was incredibly clean. So I, in all the years I've been studying oil samples, which started in about '95, I don't think I've ever seen that gear train be a source of wear metals. Oh, really? Uh, okay, because I, I, I know the back housing's aluminum. You'd have to you'd have to start hearing noises, I would think, before you would even get to that point. You know, right. I don't I don't have any particular noises. You know, right? I'd hate to see one of the now gears come is, off. Th- this this is pretty straightforward. It's upper cylinder aluminum, and it's because yeah. of the high silicon. Okay, well we can work on that. No problem. I can do that. All right. So, and you were talking. Can I talk to you about the environmental thing? Sure. Now I live in, like I said, I live up in Hood River, and I think, and I'm not. I'm not a real fan of Oregon politics, but I do think they do take pretty good care of oil spills and stuff like that. At least oh, I do too. I've noticed a ramp up this yep. year and last year. You can right. see where they're working between our your house and then the Dalles. You can see where they're cleaning up all the messes that they've had, actually all the way to Hermiston, where trucks have actually went in the ditch, and they've been actually, they got environmental companies cleaning that mess up. So yeah, I, I was pretty happy about that. But on the other hand, I agree with you on that, and I'm glad for that. My concern is more of something like what just happened in East Palestine. There is no cleanup that I would be happy with. We have to avoid those kinds of spills. 
I know in the amount of rail tracks that we have running up and down the river, you can't, you can't, uh, I mean, you can't actually, you know, prohibit like they were trying to do a couple of years ago and prohibit the oil right. uh, tankers yeah. on the rails do, you know, and when we had that big mess in Mosier, a few, about what was that? 19, 2019. I think so. You know, yeah. we can't stop the rails from running there, but you know, but here's and the thing. tidewater runs okay. or the barge right. company. Here's the thing. We're, you're right. I'm not saying we should stop moving chemicals on certain lines. That None of that makes sense. Right. I'm fine moving all this stuff around. No. But up until yep. recently, look at the safety record of our aviation system, which is 10 times more complicated than the rail system. And our aviation safety oh, was absolutely. outstanding until just the last couple of right. years. That's all I'm asking. Apply yeah. those exact same standards yep. to the railroad because it's that important. Yeah. Well, it all comes down to money and lobbyists, in my opinion. So. It, it, of course. Yeah. They just, I know the politicians, you know, they're all, they're all, it's all about money in our whole world now, you know, it and is. I can understand that to a certain extent, but when it starts costing the lives and health of our country and uh, our ecosystem, that's not right. And we still, we do have a problem with the rails here too. We, we have had some major wrecks uh, in my lifetime right here. And uh, I guess they poisoned the river a few times. So which what is, I understand. So which is, we had a really bad one in the, early 2000. So. Yeah, which is what concerns me a little bit because I love my retirement plan. I, I love the gorge. I love right. everything about this area. I love this idea of building really unique rental properties. And I'm looking at things like yurts right. and tiny homes to put on properties. And I, I, I love that whole idea. And that could be wiped out in a heartbeat. I know. Then on the other hand, and that would be a man-made disaster, but on the other hand, we have the problems with slides like the Bridge of the Gods and the uh, 600. It's been about 600 years since that mountain slid off that you can see from your house probably. Well, and, you know, and, and uh, that caused a major disaster. And I always worry about that in the gorge. Well, the so. other thing, I mean, we're in, um, we're Volcano Alley here. You know, if you want to talk about Tornado yeah. Alley, I grew up in Tornado Alley. Now I'm in Volcano Alley. I mean, we're surrounded by dormant volcanoes. Yeah. Any of them could go off. One of them did. And it's just a matter of time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I was I, here I, when that happened. I was living in Gresham when I was a kid. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm okay with that because there's nothing we can do about it. That's nature. It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You take your chances with stuff That's like right. that. In a lot of ways, yep. we, we don't have to deal with things like tornadoes and hurricanes. And there's a bunch of stuff we don't have to worry about. We do have to think about earthquakes. Right. We are kind of in an earthquake zone. Um, we certainly do have to worry right. about slides and fires, wildfires. <laughs> Look at what we went through just a couple right. of years ago. That one started oh, in my yeah. backyard. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah, we had a couple of them when I lived above you there, uh, scared the crap out of us. In fact, yeah. we had one that just about took our house down in 2001. I mean, I well, got pictures of it. It came two are, feet from our house, you know. So. Are, are you familiar with the, the hill I actually live on? Yeah, okay. that used to be uh, the people that owned the mill used to own that. And and it uh, was a big bed and breakfast. Anyways, what, yeah, then they had a, what happened to it? Yeah. It burned down. It burned I was, down. That was when my right. house almost burned down. <laughs> exactly. And right. that whole fire, though, it's just the luck of God that it changed directions in the middle of it. I mean, I know. It, it literally, the wind changed directions in like 15 minutes. It was 
going the other way, you know. Yeah. You can still yeah. see remnants of it. Oh. I was here in the 1990s when we had, early 90s, we had a big fire over here at Multnomah Falls before the one that we had in 2019, too, and that was pretty scary, you know. Right. So uh, I, I, I get fires. those things. I understand those are risks. You take that risk. I, we don't yep. have, we should not have to take the risk of chemical spills on trains. No, you're right. I agree. It should be uh, uh, limited as much as possible for it's, the environmental impact. I, Let me look I, at Ohio. I guess you're from there, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I, we just in the last couple of years, we sold two properties within 10 and 15 miles of the spill itself. I'm glad we got rid of them when oh my, we did. Thank goodness. We held on to that condo wow. for three years just because we didn't have time to go really? back and deal with it. So it just sat there empty for, I right. think, almost three years. And finally, last year, um, Lisa got a chance to go back and spend a couple months there. And, it, you know, it was amazing. She spent a, a couple months there getting it ready and sold it in one day without even listing it. Uh, and no I got, kidding. Yeah, oh, I, how about that for I, luck? I know. Got, <laughs> uh, she actually sold it right there directly while she was remodeling it. Somebody came over and looked at it. We sold it. Done. Um, it was a great deal, and I'm so glad we got rid of those two properties. We'd be screwed right now. Right. I feel sorry for the people because I'm sure oh. there's going to be some health issues that are going to be long-lasting. Well, not so, not only that, I, but I can't I mean, even imagine think, it's not going to be there. Think about the demographics of these. The, most of the people there don't have two nickels to rub together. They're struggling paycheck to paycheck. Right. There's not a lot of money. Now they have property that's worthless. They they What are they going to do? They can't walk away yeah. from it, although I would. I, I would say, look, the money is not important. Right. I would walk away from this and go live in a tent, uh, you know, until I could get myself back on my feet again. I would not stay there. You think there'll be some sort of a settlement or is the money money and politics going to get in the way from that? Who knows? Who knows? I don't even know what to expect we'll out of our government in 10 anymore. Years. Right. Yeah, I know, right? You can't, I don't listen to news anymore. I can't do it. It's I, just I, too I, much. Yeah. Uh, I, that, that I consider it. Uh, <laughs> actually. I consider it an occupational hazard for myself. I have to read the news. Exactly. That's me too. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. It's an occupational right. hazard. Yeah. I, yeah. Right. Yep. My stress gets too high and I got to drive in Portland every week. So <laughs> we don't like right. That's David, bad enough. It's like driving all week, just hey, driving through there once. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I'm going to cut you loose. The calls are piling up on us. We're going to go to Georgia. Cameron, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I got an oil sample for you. Um, just wanted to see if you could tell me what, what might be going on with it. Yeah, my first guess here is you have got a coolant leak, a small one, though, a really small coolant leak. Have you had to add any coolant lately? Oh. Uh, well, yeah, but uh, haven't had to recently, so that's kind of the weird thing about it. Well, when did you do it? Um, How long ago? Uh, it's been probably about 10,000 miles. So here's my guess. It's a very slow leak. So you finally okay. leaked enough that you needed to add some, and in another 10,000 miles, you might have to add some again. It's that small of a leak. But it's a leak. We know it's there. We have both clues. We have sodium and potassium in the oil sample. Pretty small amounts, but more than any kind of just a, a normal reading. It, it's a reading that shows we have 
some coolant in this oil. The second clue is you had to add coolant. We should never have to add coolant. It's a sealed system. Right. And I haven't seen any actual leaks on the ground or anything so like it, that. It, so it really, yeah. when I see one at this level, I just tell people, don't even waste your time going to try to find it. They're at this level, they're almost okay. impossible to find. All you do is keep sampling and wait it out. Okay. Okay. So what, at what level would you start to worry? Uh, if these, so your sodium is 116, your potassium is 131. We have to have that number double and maybe even a little bit more before they usually become obvious, obvious enough to go find. Okay. And the other okay. thing by sampling, and what could we, it- I can also tell you this, by sampling this, we're not seeing any negative consequences of having that coolant in there yet. I would say this, that if when the next time you change your oil, I would switch to Rotella. This is one of those cases I'd rather have Rotella in there. It has a lot of zinc and zinc is really protective of the metal. At some point, this coolant is going to start attacking the metal and the zinc will protect it from that. Okay. And, and Rotella is just, a, a, it's really high in zinc. Okay. Um, would you go normal, still stay at normal intervals? Yeah, I, I, w- I, I would. Now, okay. now if, if we're doing a normal interval, 25,000 miles, and at 10, say, all of a sudden you start putting in more coolant. As soon as that happens, you mm-hmm. sample again and just change the oil. But if but if you don't notice okay. any big, you know, coolant loss and, and you put in, you know, a little bit and another 10,000 miles, then then I wouldn't worry too much about it and just wait for the 25. OK. All right. And what I mean, what kind of things could it be as far as, oh, you um, know, the, the cause of the, the. So what engine is this? Is this the L9 Cummins? It's a Cummins. Yeah. Okay. Pete, are you familiar with where the, like the most common pain points on that engine would be for a coolant issue? Coolant getting into the oil. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, um, the uh, EGR cooler, but I don't even know what this engine has as far as that kind of equipment. I'm just not familiar with it. What year is it? It's a 2019. Okay. So the EGR cooler, and that would be kind of easy to check. You said, um, said coolant and oil, like the oil cooler? It would be an oil cooler. Yeah, any nope. any place on the engine where coolant and oil can mix, those are the places we've got to look. I'm just not familiar enough with that engine to know where those places are. I mean, it could be the injector cups. It could be a crack in a head. Um, EGR cooler, it could be a cracked liner, liner O-ring. I mean, the, the miles are low. The truck's new. I wouldn't think it would be um, a liner issue. You know, EGR cooler is okay. easy enough to check. Basically, you pull the tube off and see if there's any uh, signs of, of coolant there. Again, it's small amounts, so it just simply might be hard to find. Okay, I see. And if you have an oil cooler go bad, you also generally notice oil in the cooling system, which will show up in your overflow tank. Okay. Well, what about the elevated level of 10? That one's a little That's odd. That's want to keep it, an eye on. It could possibly be, and again, that's why I want to switch to the Rotella. 
We could see even okay. small amounts of coolant attacking certain metals. Maybe tin is a little more susceptible in this engine. And again, it, it, when okay. I'm looking at an oil sample on an engine, I'm not completely familiar with that. I've got to speculate a little bit. You know, all the class eight engines that we've been using for years, I know which parts contain which metals. When I get an odd engine like this, I, I don't like to say that I know for sure what's happening, but it's possible that we're seeing some attack on that tin. And I think switching to the Rotella may help that. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll do that on the next next oil change. Um, and then the fuel dilution, is that just from from idling? It is most likely well, from idling, be. yeah. And have okay. you set well, the I've overhead I've fixed that problem. I've got a, a generator and an AC unit in the portable AC unit in the truck. So well, then that should a, be taken care of. That's a really good test for us because if that, now let me go back and look. Uh, yeah. Your fuel dilution is, is, you know, at two, we don't even flag it. You can tell from the last one We two is just a normal mm. reading. Really four is when we start getting concerned and think about, you know, looking for injectors or something like that. You're at 3.4. That's probably just a little bit of excess idle. I think, Pete, you just mentioned um, overhead. When was the last time the overhead was done? Uh, that was um, December of 2021. How many miles would okay. that have been? Yeah, you're due for it. Yeah, I think you're due. I, okay. I would say, okay. and again, I don't know a lot about this engine, but if if I had to put a number on it, Pete, every hundred thousand overheads, yeah, 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 I'm still a fan okay. of setting them on a regular basis. It, it may, you know, maybe once a year, okay. maybe even depending on how many miles you run, you just mark it on the calendar and say, "I'm going to do it." You know, I got into the habit with my cars and oil changes. I don't even pay attention to miles. I use a really good synthetic oil and Christmas holidays. That's when I change my oil. Once a year on my cars, I don't even pay attention to the mileage. I just do it once a year. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll get that done. I knew that was coming up anyways. I actually had a little bit longer interval, but um, you, you guys think it needs to be around 100,000 or so? On I the think smaller that's a good like number. That? I, we even, on the Class 8s now, okay. we're, we're back. You know, there was this trend where the, the OEMs, Pete, didn't they keep telling us, doesn't come and say like 500,000 on the ISX? When it first came out, they did, and they, they, they kept bumping it back. That's what I thought, yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, we want for fuel mileage. We want them to run uh, 100% right all the time. If we do it once a year, if you do 100,000 100, a year or 125, you know, like I said, do it once a year, easy to remember, and it's done. Yeah. Yeah, okay. and I like uh, uh, Christmas holidays, or or if you typically take a summer vacation or, you know, just set it at something you'll always remember, and it's a time you're going to be off anyway. Okay, okay. I want to let you know, um, I tried the uh, the yogurt, uh, El Ruderai, last, uh, I guess it was about this time last year, and um, it, it kind of uh, messed me up a little bit, So, but I was using uh, milk. I don't remember if I was using the A2 milk or not, Okay, but um, I just made the uh, yogurt with coconut milk, and it is amazing. I don't even really remember there being a a difference in taste. I mean, they taste pretty similar. I mean, I I did them about a year apart, but 
um, from what I remember, it seems to taste about the same and, you know, no actual anything. I actually prefer the taste of using a good heavy, I actually use coconut cream instead of coconut milk. It's, it's reduced down further. So it's even thicker. I prefer that. The, the difference is even with the coconut cream, I can't get the yogurt as thick mm-hmm. as I like without using a thickener of some kind. And then when I use the thickener, I'm not really wild about the texture quite as much. So I, I prefer the taste of the, the coconut milk to make yogurt. I just can't get the texture. When I use the A2 half and half, and then I mix that about 75, 25, I add full fat cream to the half and half. You get the thickest, creamiest, most decadent yogurt I've ever eaten. I bet that's good. This is pretty thick. Um, oh, good. The good. way it comes out, I mean, it's... I, I, twice and it's it's pretty thick it's uh it's got a good texture to it good. so i don't know if it's the type of canned coconut milk that i'm getting or or what but i'm i'm, I'm doing the aroid d or something like that i have to order it on on amazon but uh it's got no no none of the gums in it good. or anything like that good yeah no that's that's yeah. really really good i mean the, the coconut milk's loaded with mcts okay good good Well, that's all I had. I appreciate your help. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to calls. Just keep coming. The hits keep rolling in. Let's go to Florida. Raymond, welcome to the program. Hello. What's on your mind today? Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Let me get my earbuds in so I can hear you better. Thank you. They almost went dead. Hang on a minute. All right. Can you hear me now? We can. What's on your mind today? Is that better? Hello? Uh, it's good. Okay. It's good. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, the, 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 the train wreck. Uh, you, you were, uh, when I first tuned in, I tuned in late today. There was a guy talking about the bank on the Ohio River next to the, what, what did it have to do with the train wreck? It, was there a train track up there that thought the bank was on a road or what? Which Hello? which one? Are coming we? out of Louisville. Yeah, off of like what do you say, seventy one? Well, Route seventy one, I think exit thirty one. Oh, on Interstate seventy one. Yeah, I used to run yeah. it. Pumpkin Tech. I used to run it a lot there. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, what I think he was, he was talking, talking about. about how bad the con- the yeah. embankment falling apart or something. Okay, I didn't know what exactly that had to do with the other train wreck, unless they well, thought there might be another one because the bank was broken. Yeah, that's, so what's been happening, not just that particular place, but I am seeing people all over the country now posting pictures of trestle conditions and, you know, the concrete's all crumbling under the steel structure. And so people are paying attention to train tracks now. So I've seen all kinds of these stories in the last couple actually, of weeks. Actually, me and my hey. trucking mentor were sort of discussing the condition of railroad tracks Lately, I mean, I hate, they were thinking about those 400-mile-an-hour trains or 100-mile-an-hour trains or whatever, you know, faster trains. Yeah. We decided we didn't want to be on one because the condition of railroad tracks. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I, I yeah. It wasn't that long ago yeah. I, was, I said, I'm taking the train. I took the train to Memphis from Portland. I mean, it's a three-day train ride. I love yeah. the train. 
I, I've been ever, I had never yeah. really been on a train like that before in my life. Never been on an Amtrak my whole life. I get out to Portland and I, we start researching it and I see they got this great train from Portland to Chicago. And I took it the first time, fell in love with it. I've taken trains all over the country now, but I'm going to stop. Too. I'm not doing it anymore. My, my, my first experience or my first recent experience in 2008, my two sons and I rode the train from Moscow to St. Petersburg. Wow. A night, a night train. That had to yeah. be quite an experience. That was a neat experience, brother. I'll bet. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. What were you doing in Moscow? Tickle me. Uh, my son was stationed there with Campus Crusade for Christ. How cool. He became a missionary right out of right out of he now he, he moved to New Zealand. He is the head minister for Shore Presbyterian Church in Auckland, New Zealand. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't wait to find New Zealand, Kevin. I, I'm really, I'm, I'm telling it a bit. Yeah. yeah, well, we'll have to get. So I'm uh, going to wait. I'm going to wait a little while here, yeah. Before you go, you should call in and we'll get Paul in here and he can give you all kinds of things. you got to see why you're in New Zealand. Yes. I love it, guy, Paul. I, I love know. his accent, man. I, I'm going to hook up with him, but yeah. Well, well, we'll do, we'll do it yeah. right here on the show. Yeah. When you're getting ready to plan your trip, you call okay, in and, and we'll get Paul in here and we'll do some vacation planning. Thank you, sir. Okay, next subject. Do you realize, Kevin Rilford, what a excellent radio voice God has blessed you with? Uh, you know, you know. I don't know. You know how you I I hear my voice in my head different than it sounds, and I, I obviously listen to my voice recorded a lot. And the the interesting thing about that is, when I was a kid, the first time I ever heard my voice on a recording, I was appalled. I thought I sounded awful. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, that's what I sound like? Really? That's horrible. And there was a time where I had this kind of funky nasal sound that wasn't all that great. And I, I don't know, at some point, I, I guess maybe I kind of grew into this. I, I don't really hear it, but I, I people tell me it a lot. But they also say I've got a face for radio, too, so... Okay, I agree with that, too. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> he, he broke my train of thought there. Yeah, good. Oh, okay. On up and onward. Actually, I'm working on that myself. I want to become a great speaker like you, and I'm going to have to slow down. I'm trying today. Usually, I get all escalated on this show, and I run my words together. Go, so I'm slowing down. Go hang out in the South more. That'll slow you down. <laughs> no, it won't either. I'm, I'm a Southerner from, from the get-go, buddy. I was born in Kentucky. I love the South. I don't love the North. Where you're from, way too far. Mason Dixon Line, north of the There you go. Where you're from is way too far north of the Mason Dixon Line. You mean where I'm from originally? <laughs> yeah. You know, right now, too, I mean, you know, that's, he, I, I, I love I love your, love your area, but I don't I couldn't put up the politics out there for it. Now. I just ignore the politics <laughs> out here. Actually, I, it's kind of funny. I'm in this little tiny town with, you know, maybe we've grown to fifteen hundred people now. Yeah. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody takes turns 
being the mayor and being on council. I, I, I was on council. I know a ton of people who have been the mayor. Um, so it, it's, yeah. but it's interesting that there's a pretty strong little libertarian stronghold in this town. Yep. Good. Libertarian, not liberal libertarian. Correct. Thing. Very, very different. The, the base of libertarian yeah, is not yeah. liberal. It's liberty. Big, big difference. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm involved on subject here. Uh, I, I really appreciate your training on the automatic transmission. I finally grasped the concept of what I'm dealing with here. It's a clutch with a brake on it. It's just like a regular clutch, pretty much, except it activated electronically. So, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I, I fully understand the automated mail. I'm not, I'm not, I couldn't rebuild one, but I, I understand how they work now. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, Naval, though, you, you, you turned me into a Volvo hater. I'm going back to what I originally called it, sir. All right. It's not a Volvo, it's a Volvo. It's a Volvo. Oh, boy. Oh boy! I have to tell you what a Volvo is. Dude. Hey, hey! Um, now okay, I'm gonna. It's got, a, it's got a mind of its own. Hey, you just, you just I'd created. Like you just created extra work for me. Now I have to label my podcast as R-rated because of you. <laughs> see, okay. see what you did. Right, I don't get it. He called it a Volvo. I'm sorry. Yes, Volvo. Yeah. <laughs> The female anatomy part. Now I have to label this an R-rated episode. <laughs> okay, good job. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll get more viewers that way. Yeah, there you go. We probably will. Yeah. Uh, the, the first thing that happened to this silly thing, I was trying to dial in an FM station. I accidentally triggered the alarm which happened to be set for 11.30 at night, p.m. I could not figure out how to get it to go away. There is actually a YouTube video on that specific subject. So I'm not the first one that's had trouble with that. Okay, the second mind of its own thing here, I get up Saturday morning or Sunday morning in Florida, the damn SPAR heater's running. And I didn't turn it on. I'm sorry, it's a wee bass, though. It's not an S-bar, but it's, 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 it's the bunk heater running. Okay. In Florida. I didn't turn it on. I got on, I don't know. I don't know. So it's I'm going to back to Mr. Mr. I'm going back. I know. I'm going back to Mr. Tomislav Gavlover. He, he is my electric APU guy. That's electricapu.com. If you want electric APU, go visit Mr. Tom Gavlover. All I'm right. I'm going back to his place. And give some intensive training on this thing because he's added on a bunch of stuff like that. The APU is tied to the uh, to the Webasto, I know somehow, and I haven't even got that thing turned on yet. No alone know how to work it, so I'm I'm not stupid. I'm just ignorant. I'm ignorant to uh, computers and stuff like that, man. I am. I admit it. So I got a lot to learn here. All right. Was there a question in there somewhere? And I only ask because I, I am I am I am focusedly challenged today. My mind is wandering. Focusedly challenged. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, I really, I really, I really, I don't focus on anything. My mind just works. Oh, Kevin, I'm a BP. You know what that is? No. 
It's a bipolar. A what? I don't admit that to very many people. Say bipolar. That hey, what that damn southern accent of yours? I bipolar. still don't know what you're saying. Oh, bipolar. Like you have both parts? Bipolar. Bipolar. Got it. <laughs> We're north of that Mason-Dixon line. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, i tell you one thing. The, the South's going to rise again, boys. It's done already started. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> hey, hey, hold on a second. There you, you go. You, you, you can't count Florida as the South, you know. Oh, how come? I don't know. I lived there. Florida was not the South. Florida is nothing like the South. depends on where you're at. Uh, it, yeah, if you get out into the it, out into yes, the, it is, dude. if you get out it, into the it, sticks up in the in panhandle, right? Yeah, yeah. But once no, the, one, the south, dude. once you get south of Jacksonville, they, they're, they're, Florida is nothing like the South. I live in the top of the Everglades in a small rural okay, town, which I absolutely adore. That's the South. That's the South. Hey, That's it, the South. So, what's now, your, Orlando or that crap? Hey, I hey hate Raymond. Orlando and Miami Ra- Raymond, what? Yeah. What's your take on how they became called Florida Crackers? Ah, uh, the truth behind that is the Florida cattle drivers. You got crack it. their whip. You got it. Very few people know yep. that. Everybody I, thinks. I, 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 I think everybody it. thinks it's because our skin looks like saltines. Exactly. But it's not. Okay. I've got a good book for you. Most people aren't aware of this, that Florida has more cows than any state east of the Mississippi. Missouri is second, I do believe, not Texas. East of the Mississippi. I mean, Missouri is first, I believe, and... Yeah, it's cattle country. Absolutely. It's huge cattle. The Spanish turned them... yeah, everything the south Spanish of Orlando. The Spanish in 1500s turned them babies loose, is, and is they thrive down here. Big, big read, cattle read country. Read a book called A Land Remembered. Yeah, I'll bet that's a read good Read a one. book called A Land Remembered. It's a good since, book. Yes, it is. It, 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 uh, this guy was, was, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It's a fictional book, but it, it's historical fiction. Since we're talking about unusual yeah, cattle farms or cattle unusual cattle farms, do you know where the single largest... They call it a cattle ranch. Is which oh, state? Maybe it's uh, it. could be a uh, King Ranch or a Four Sixes one of the two. Uh, King I'd say Hawaii. It's in Hawaii. Yeah, it's on the Big Island. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, I can't think wow. of the name of it right now. I, I could probably look it up real quick though. Uh, yeah, I've actually been by it. Wow. I've been to Oahu, but I've never been to the Big Island. Uh, the Big Island is really interesting. It's it's uh, the economy's almost more like when you go down to the Caribbean islands. Kind of a poor island in a lot of places, but uh, really interesting. There's yeah, if I remember right, there's 26 um, like weather zones. That's not the right word. Climate zones. There's 26 climate zones in the world, from sub-Saharan to um, you know uh, mountaintop. I forget the word for that one. Um, there's 26 in the world. 23 of them exist on the Big Island. Wow. Yeah. I didn't a, know that. It, it's I a, know that, that really Oahu, cool, unique place. Go ahead. Um, the Parker Ranch in Hawaii. Oahu is... Uh, I got to correct something, though. 
Parker Ranch. This never used to say this. Something may have changed. Now it says Parker Ranch in Hawaii, one of the largest ranches in the U.S. I think at one time it was the largest. Uh, 130,000 acres. Wow, my dream. <laughs> my absolute dream. There you go. In a beautiful place like Hawaii. No, oh, I get you know, it. I, yeah. I, I, I do... Uh, I do know that Oahu is actually two two square miles smaller than my home county of Pulaski in Kentucky. Yeah, it's really just... I can believe that. I've spent a lot of time on Oahu, and you can drive around the outside of the whole island in about 45 minutes. Well, not with traffic. Not with traffic. <laughs> that's that's absolutely correct. Yeah, once you get over but to the the uh, traffic, but yeah, yeah. W- once you get to the Honolulu not, side, yeah. forget it. But yeah, if, if if you can do, and I've done it, you know, and I did it yeah. a couple decades ago, the first time. Um, I, I've spent quite a bit of time on Oahu. I, I went to Pearl Harbor twice, sir, and that's where I got my redeeming part of my redeeming. There you go. When you go out there. I take that, take that tour, and you stand on the top of 1,177 men's graves that died for you. Yeah. You will change your mind from liberal back to conservative. I was catering on liberalism, I swear, because an ex-girlfriend, that jerked me right back to where I was supposed to be. There you go. You know, my, my first trip over there was, was uh, pretty awesome because I had a month leave uh, I was in the army yeah. at the time. I had a month leave. Wow! I flew over on an Air Force plane for fifteen dollars, which actually bought me a brown bag lunch to get over there. Uh, when I when I got there, my my ex roommate that I used to share a house with in in Washington State when I was at Fort Lewis, he was stationed over there. He was a, an E six, and he had a nice little condo right on the beach on the North Shore, and he had an extra car. And I stayed over there for a month with a place to live in a car cost me almost nothing. Oh, that's a lot better story than my first trip. It only cost <laughs> me a grand to get over there. I had a place to stay. I really, I, I, my, my daughter, she's married to an army chaplain. Okay. And he just happened to be stationed in, in Oahu. So I hogged it up, buddy. I flew over her twice in 19 and then right before COVID and in the middle of COVID. Obviously, the plane trip was a lot more fun before COVID. <laughs> yeah, actually. Well, yeah. not really. It wasn't so damn crowded during COVID. Yeah, was it wasn't he? so damn crowded. <laughs> was, he at, um, was he at Schofield Barracks or was he on the airfield? Yeah, Schofield, right there. Yes. Uh, yep. You can see Pearl Harbor from their house. Yeah. Yeah, Schofield. They've, yeah. They've, there's actually like well, six yeah. little bases on in scattered throughout Hawaii, but Schofield Barracks is the big one, and then they have the uh, uh, the Wheeler Army Airfield, uh, they, which I spent some time over there at the airfield had, because that was had. that was my MOS. I was a helicopter crew chief, and so was my roommate that I was over there staying with. He was actually the way I met him. He was actually one of the inspectors. So every time we worked on a helicopter, we immediately had to have the job inspected and signed off on. You had to inventory all your tools. I mean, there was all kinds of crazy stuff. But 
I met yeah. him like that. I was young. Oh, yeah, yeah, he he yeah. had been in the army 12 years and I actually taught him how to paint cars and he, you know, let me move in. He had a big four bedroom house and he was living in it by himself. And he, I, I moved in, uh, taught him how to paint cars. So the month that I was yeah. over there, not only did it not cost me anything, he had a couple jobs. He went on to start doing some bodywork and painting on the side and he had a couple jobs. So I was working with him while I was over there making money. Wow. That's a great, great deal. You know, my, my kids were in paradise up there, Kevin. They had the biggest house they'd ever had in the Army. They, they had a bathroom you can play baseball in, you know, like, <laughs> like a kid rocks home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and then, uh, then their next move was to Yuma, Arizona. Culture shock. Oh, yeah. Temperature shock. Yeah, everything shock. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, hey, Raymond, I, I hate, hate to do it. I'm enjoying it, but uh, we're getting a little long-winded today. Lots of stories. I don't mind it, but uh, when the calls pile up, I want to get back to them. Let's go to Arkansas. Larry, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I'm I'm from deep south Arkansas. There you Trumpster go. Trumpster country down here in 45-mile north of Louisiana line. Got it. It's, if you wouldn't have told hey, me, I, I, if you wouldn't have told me, I could have swore you were from Toledo. Yeah, most people <laughs> think I'm from New York City. What's on your mind today? <laughs> I, I got one of these old Fitzgerald kits. I went up and bought, got in a golf cart, and rode across the road over on the gravel yep. parking lot. Yep. 2014 mid-roof. Uh, you know where I'm talking about. Uh huh. And. Uh, I was wondering if it was worth more or less than that guy was talking about them new Peterbilt who wouldn't crank with them pack cars in them. <sighs> you know how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, I, hey, I was going to ask you, geniuses. Uh, you know, I, I really, really wish we could have continued on with the gliders, e even in a limited basis. You know, I, I, I still think there's a place for them. Uh, and it's a shame the whole thing kind of disappeared. Oh, I love this truck. It's got, I got 494,000 on it. I put a exhaust manifold gasket on it since I bought it brand new. There you go. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited about I the new, new trucks and new technology and the, you know, some of the crazy fuel mileage numbers we're getting. And we have all these new drive lines and transmissions to play with. And I, I love all that. I still think there's a place for gliders. Well, I wouldn't know how to drive one of them. I don't, I don't really know that I'd know how to crank the APU or nothing on them. I started out on them 238s <laughs> and R190s. You know? There you go. <laughs> and uh, got, on up to, got on up to a 318. Hey, you know, a, a lot and, of people uh, don't realize but, when, when those 190s were popular, weren't we, weren't we max it grossing out at 72.8 then? Oh, yeah. 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 That was an awful lot of weight to be pulling with 190 horsepower, but we did it. Oh, yeah. You'd, you'd split that two-speed splitter 100,000 <laughs> times going to Houston. <laughs> Yep, you are right. You might get up to 55 mile an hour and, you, and your right foot would be smoking. Yeah, yeah. Put I, your it, block of wood over on a gas pedal. You know, my my favorite story to retell when I was a kid, you know, I, I my grandfather was an owner-operator, my father, my brothers, my brother-in-laws, my uncles, everybody I knew 
Um, and so there were a lot of truck driver stories when I was growing up. But the one I like to retell when I was a kid was uh, my dad did a lot of miles in Pennsylvania. Um, the hills, you know what they're like. Uh, 190 horsepower and, you know, 70 some thousand pounds back there. He would talk about going up the hills so slow that he would actually open up the door and step out on the running board instead of pulling over to urinate. He said he could just yeah. reach back through yeah, and, you, you know, real that, slow. remember you had the hand throttle, you could pull out and lock the throttle. Yeah. Kind of like really dangerous cruise yes, control, sir. but it worked. You, you would lock the throttle with that, that little hand pull thing there. And he'd, he said he'd step out on the running board and reach back in and hold the steering wheel. And he said it was going so slow, it really didn't matter. Ah, uh, the good old days. Yeah, you, I know. Yeah. You know, uh, we had them charts. We had them charts up there on the dash where you opened it up with a key. Oh, Put the, a little the round disc. Tachograph. Paper chart in it. Called the tachograph. Yeah. Yep. That was our GPS. That's our, right. Uh, it, it was your ECM. ELD. It, it was the ELD. It was the ECM. Yeah, it, yeah, it was all of that stuff. It, it was a mechanical tachograph that, that registered everything that was going on on paper or cardboard or whatever that thing it was you stuck in there. Yeah, when we got to memory videos, you could sit there and idle and it'd make a little scratch. <laughs> right. When you cranked that 250 up and got going down the road, 220 would make a big scratch. Yep, yep. All right. Hey, I was going to ask you, genius, what, what this uh, what this 60 series, the best running speed for it was on the attack computer. Uh, you know they're they're pretty. I got three forty eight. You can run it pretty comfortably from efficiently. I think when you stay in that twelve to fourteen hundred range, the and the the lower you want to go down into that range, you should be lighter or on the level. Uh, you know, if you're running through hills, you're going to stay up closer to the fourteen hundred. Somewhere in that range is where you want to spend most of your time. Okay. Yeah, I got three forty eights in it. 10 speed and about 1450, 65. 14 and a quarter. Got it. I was wondering where the best place to run it. Yeah, um, 12 to 14. Okay. okay, I'm gonna list you politics. I thank you. All right, thanks for the call. We are gonna continue on because the calls keep coming. Ohio this time. Bob, welcome. Yeah, good afternoon. How you doing? Good. I got a suggestion for you there, Kevin. I know you're concerned about the rails coming along the river there where you live. Why don't you go to your local fire department? And if I remember right, that's Union Pacific, and that runs that line. You know, I'm not sure. That, that, that sounds right. I, I've never really paid attention to that close to know who runs the line. I, I'm just aware we have an awful lot I of I believe that on one's Union Pacific. I don't... Be. Yeah, that's a major line. That's one of the major lines coming out of Portland there. Yeah. And, you know, if you'll go to your local fire department and ask them about the emergency protocol and training, there is a protocol in place in case something like that happens. Oh, oh, And they will probably uh, even let you sit in on the training. I have. And And, and response training on that. No, have you done that? I went through a lot of the two times. I went through a lot of rail training when I was on the road team and we actually worked with the railroad. I would go out and present truck safety and rail grade crossing safety. Mm -hmm. That's 
what they, the official term is a rail grade crossing. So I would, I would speak on safety yeah. on both of those. That was a ways back, but remember a tiny little town here. My neighbor is the fire chief. I know him really well. I know all the people on the fire department. Awesome. I, was, I was involved with it because I was on city council. We have good plans in place. That's not my concern. My concern is, look at what happened to East Palestine. I don't care if they would have had the best response in the world. It's still contaminated. We have to stop the derailment from happening in the first place. And we are not doing a good job of that. Well, I agree. They admitted to a thousand of them a year. I agree with that. Now, wait a minute. Being having worked for the railroad under the hazmat response team, you have to take into consideration, you're, you're dealing with the media here that's telling you about these thousands of derailments, but there is, you can look up each derailment. Bob, And Bob, on the railroad, stop, stop, if that stop. One, Bob, one wheel comes off I, in the yard, I no, I'm it. just letting you know. I get it. I know what the rules many. are. I know what the once rules are. Many. That's my point. Don't, don't excuse this at all. One derailment, a true derailment, is too many because you can never recover from what just happened in East Palestine. And you can't tell me we can't be that safe because we did it for decades in the aviation industry. We could we could have zero derailments, zero. And that's what we need to shoot for. So making excuses and saying they're doing a great job. I I, I, know it's not going to fly for me. We do a horrible job at this, and we better fix it. That's kind of like saying there should never be another truck accident. And, you know, there shouldn't. There's, there's no excuse for no, a truck they, ac- they, any they, truck hold accident. Hold on. Hold on. The better analogy is the airline industry. You're, we're not talking about putting out three million untrained truck drivers or very little training. We could talk about that, too. We could make huge improvements in safety. But that's not a good comparison to the railroad industry. You have one very highly trained, highly paid engineer. And we have total control over the whole system. We know where every train is, so you don't have random cars and trucks running around that are going to collide into each other all the time. The aviation industry, the train industry, and the maritime industry has 10 times more control than the trucking industry does. And that's why we should shoot for zero accidents in those industries, because it's achievable. The only way we'll get to zero accidents- That is the goal in those industries. Well, we failed miserably in the railroad industry then. And we're on our way there with the airline industry now in the last couple of years. there are still plane crash. What? I'm trying not to interrupt you, but I agree. It's an increase in it is bad. But I'm, I also understand that that thousand derailments are talking about. A lot of times, that is nothing more than a wheel come off the track in the yard. The wheel should never come off the track. Derailment. Why should we even have to put up with a wheel they coming do. off? I, I know they do. I'm not arguing that they don't. I'm saying they shouldn't. They shouldn't. And forget the one wheel you know, coming off. That, that's, a, that's a red herring. I'm not talking about that. We know that there's major derailments that kill people, pollute. Those are the ones I'm talking about. And any is too many. So forget the one wheel thing. It's a red herring. It's, it's just like you're talking about the trench and how upsetting that was to you. 
I didn't know what the chemical was when I heard about it. It was three weeks after before I even heard about it on the radio. I feel like it was too long. I agree. But my first question was, what chemical were they dealing with? Was it a heavy gas? Were we looking at a compressed gas? Are we looking at oil? Bob, stop a second. We shouldn't have to ask what gas it was. There should not be a derailment in the first place because once there is, there's no going back. You, there is no plan that will make East Palestine whole again. Those people will suffer for decades, and we don't know how far this is going to spread in the water tables. We, I, I don't want to talk about this one and what went wrong. We need to make sure this never happens again. You'll never do it. Yes, we you will. You cannot yeah, do it as long bullshit. as you have machines and man. Bullshit. We do it there in the aviation cat- industry, There's always a Bob. chance Come of a on. catastrophic failure. But look at this safety there record. There are plane in the, crashes. Not many. There are, there are not, ships that not many. run ashore. Not, not many. many. So, so don't not, accept the level. Name in, in the, the, last, the last five Bob, years, Bob, uh, name off uh, uh, more than Bob, two. Rather, rather than scream at each other, and it, that's what it's devolved into. I'm going to cut you loose. So I don't think anybody wants to hear us argue about this. I think we're at a point where you and I will have to agree to disagree. I think our rail safety record is horrendous and we should never excuse it. We need to fix it. I think our airline is heading that way. It used to be outrageously safe for how complicated it is. So I don't accept the fact that we can't change this. Of course we can. We have a horrible record right now and it's obvious why. It's profit over everything else with the railroads. And I am a dyed-in-the-wool capitalist. I hate to say that it's big corporations profiting that's doing this, but that's exactly what's happening, and we have a government that allows them to do it. So I I don't want to scream at you. I don't want to argue about this with you. So we'll just have to agree to disagree on that one. Let's let's go to Pennsylvania. John, welcome to the program. I was calling out a couple questions about putting some ground wires on my truck. Okay, go ahead. Okay. So uh, I don't have any issues with it, but I hear you guys talk about it. It's a good idea to do. I just want to make sure I'm going to do it right. So I, I hook a wire onto the negative battery terminal, and then I could go to the frame rail or cross member. Is that correct? Yeah, anything that uh, is a conductive surface. Yeah, then you can, gra- and- you can ground the frame rail, and then you can go from the frame rail to the cab, uh, which is also a conductive surface. And then inside, you should have all your cab grounds for your switches and things like that that will ground to that and which will make its way back to the battery so yeah anything that's a conductive surface if you really want to just go hog wild you can just attach a ground wire to all of those so so when i go from the battery to the i was going to go to the cross member i know there's an easier spot for me instead of the frame rail and then from there should i do one to the cab and one to the sleeper or is one good for both uh one of the the, the cab sleeper uh they're both attached that's fine um as long as you go from the negative to where you're going on the cross member, as long as there's no rubber isolating bits, it's all connected through bolts, it's solid mounted, then yeah, you can go just like how you mentioned. And is it okay to just use like a, te- like a regular mechanics wire, 10 gauge wire? Uh, something heavier. So I mean, a lot of times we will get the, um, you know, the braided type of um, ground cable. Like, like grounding like strap. Yeah. They're inexpensive. And where do you get those? Most of the auto parts carry them advanced, um, pep boys, places like that. And then yeah. how do you put like an end on it to put over your battery terminal? 
they, they are the ones we get already have a metal end with a uh, three hole in it. Or if they okay. don't have an end on it, like if you buy just like battery cable, you can get the the ends for it, and there's a tool that you can use to basically crimp it. Or I mean, if you don't want to buy the tool, you can just you know smack it with a hammer a bunch and then run some solder over it with like a blowtorch. Um, yep. It doesn't have to be a think tank. Uh, you're just trying to make a good connection that's not going to fall apart on you. So. All right. So, so something bigger than a 10 gauge wire that won't work. Yeah, I would go something a little bigger. Yeah. Okay, that's all I got. Thank you. You're yep. welcome. Let's go to Ohio. Bob, welcome to the program. Uh, well, I was, Kevin. I apologize if you felt I was being argumentative. I didn't mean to. Uh, no, I was being argumentative. Be argumentative it, or not, to uh, slow the show down. Uh, no, no, <laughs> you, you don't need to apologize. I was being argumentative, and I wanted to stop because sometimes I get a little out of control and I get passionate about stuff, and I, I don't mean to holler and argue with listeners but uh so it's fine wasn't you for, for, for god's sake i i admire your passion about it and i agree with you 100 percent on it should never happen it just i understand hey, too though it's going to happen well you know <laughs> I, and, I, and that's, i was like i was watching it that's kind of why I, I this may be an issue that I get more involved in than other issues. Think about it. I just got lucky and sold two properties where this one occurred, and now I realize how vulnerable all my new properties are. I have a property that is a mile from the major line in Missouri, and I'm wanting to do, I'm, I'm looking right now, getting out of trucking to do Joe Salison-style farming. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, I'm just like, how do I get this thing paid off so I can get back to the I, farm? I, I love but that. I, so, I worked in the area, so, and I... I've said this before, but just so people realize it, you're a mile from a track. I am a hundred yards from one and a oh, quarter of a mile from the other one. And they are both very, very I active understand. lines. Yeah, so so now, you know, here's very my... close. Yeah, here's my retirement plan. Buy up all this beautiful property in, in a gorgeous part of the country. And uh, and all of a sudden, I realize how vulnerable that is now. Oh, especially given the, the proximity to that major waterway that is one of the... One of the biggest salmon runs in the country. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I, both, <laughs> both of these I train that. tracks, both of these train tracks are on the river. I mean, there are places where if the trains come off the tracks, they could end up in the river. They're that close. They And they do. I have been emergency response exercises on the Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I am a, I am a little we, passionate about this. We get ready for thing. those things, and I know the same type. It doesn't take more than a major flood to wash out one of those tracks, uh-huh. and that train can go over. I know, I mean, and that, all that should be addressed. You're in a critical area and a critical point. Those, let me assure you, though, those lines do have sensors in them. There's a car they run down that line that tests the pressure and every little bump in that track and the softness of the soil beneath it. Bob, so there Bob, are protocols Bob, in Bob, place. That you're, Bob, you're going to make me crazy again. You should probably stop. I know all the protocols I mean, in place, and we still have these horrible disasters. So the, the protocols aren't good. But you They're need not to, good. It, They're not enough. We need more of them, and it needs to be more often. And your show, bringing awareness to it, 
to the public is a good thing because once the public's aware of it, they'll demand it. That's what I'm hoping. So I want to compliment you on that. But it's not that there aren't ways. There are technologies that can be used of course. to prevent this. Oh, that was my point. And, and you, wait, wait a minute, let me remind you of something. You were the one that told me we can't fix this. You said it can't be fixed. That was a misstatement. No. Of course it can be, and you know it can be. And no. you're talking about the ways we I'm would do it. I'm not saying it can't be fixed, but there's always things that can happen beyond. There are many ways to fix problems, but you're never going to always fix every problem. I didn't it's, ask at to. At some point it's going to happen, and to. then you I, have I, to have I, something I in place. Made, I made a very distinct comparison to the airline industry and said, I want the railroad to be at least as safe as the airlines used to be because I am no longer willing to fly because of what's happened to our airline safety <laughs> record either. in the last three years. I'm not doing it. And people might say, oh, the odds are still that I don't care what the odds are. I don't like situations where I'm not in control. That, I'm the same way. So I think that, that we could, and I am going to cut you loose again. We've got a couple more calls coming in. We're going to have to wrap this up in a couple minutes. So um, I, I, I'm just not willing to accept what we've allowed for safety in, in airlines and railroads right now. Let's, uh, uh, let's see. I think Paul's trying to get back in here. So that may be, uh, Paul may get the final word today. I'll wait a minute here while we're screening his call and I am going to turn off the phone lines. We're, uh, we're going to wrap this up for today. Uh, Pete, Leroy, while we're waiting for uh, Paul to get back in, anything you guys want to close with? The train derailments. <laughs> Good. What's your thought? Let's talk about it. <laughs> See if you can get me all No, I don't have anything. <laughs> I'm good. Okay. Yeah, me too. All right. So, oh, and Paul was in and now he's gone. So uh, we're going to wrap this up. Great show today. Three Bye, hours. Lots of good calls. Lots of good topics. We uh, did a little reminiscing, got a little nostalgic, argued about railroads. We were all over the board. All I'd have to do now is throw in something about cannabis and we'd have a complete day. Well, we got time. Let's go. <laughs> uh, what's that? I don't think anyone would argue about that. No, you'd be surprised. Here, anyhow. You'd be surprised. Not so much now. You know, the, the people who listen to the show now are, are, you know, pretty loyal. Not that they agree with me on everything, but... We don't get the loonies we used to get as much on, on Sirius XM. But when I first, the first time I ever mentioned cannabis on the air, period, and admitted that I used it, um, and I was recommending it for somebody who wasn't a driver. Somebody called in, had all kinds of pain issues, had, had gone through all the problems with opioids. And, and I said, look, cannabis is a, is a good solution for some people. You would not believe how many people lost their mind. I got all kinds of nasty emails. What are you doing talking about cannabis on a truck driver's show? Rah, 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 rah. What are you doing talking about cannabis, period, you damn hippie? I, I, just on and on. I'm like, really? People are still that touchy about this, huh? Yeah, it's so common nowadays. Well, and, and my only answer, really, we don't need to argue this. I, I will ask you one question. If you're a, totally against cannabis, I just ask people one question. Explain to me how it's different than alcohol. And, and we Ooh, idolize alcohol. 
right? Don't we? We brag about going out and getting hammered and alcohol sponsors all of our sporting events and all of our shows. And we, we love alcohol. I, that's okay. I, tell me how cannabis is different. In fact, I, I, I don't need well, to do this, sure. but I could make the argument that it's actually much, much safer and it actually has some health benefits. You cannot say that about alcohol at all. Alcohol is a toxin. Yeah, and, and it riles people up. You don't really have people fighting. After right. Smoking. Right. It, it's, you talk to cops and they would yeah, much rather deal with a stoner than, a dr- than somebody drunk. The, the one that I always right. like is uh, the stop sign. An alcoholic will bro- blow right through the stop sign and kill you. And the stoner will sit there and wait for it to turn green. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. a little safer. Yeah. And really, I'm not pushing cannabis on anybody, but my God, the fact that we can't talk about it and, and, you know, people are so against it and then they'll bring up, well, you're, it, you know, it kills kids' brain cells before their brain develops. I know that. I get it. I agree with that. Kids shouldn't be doing it. We don't allow kids to drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes either. Right. Right. That's a horrible argument. And again, everything you could say to condemn cannabis, as soon as you say it, I want you to turn around and question that same thing about alcohol. My, and that, that is a concern, what compared to what I did at 18 and 19, you know, you, we would go up to camp and fish and hunt and, and bring a huge bag of weed and smoke it the whole time. Right. And now, you know, take one hit and you're, you're down. Just like a lot of things, there's no need to have 151 proof rum Correct. for grain alcohol. Right. You know, and I don't, marijuana is getting to the point where you can't, you know, a couple of people share a joint because it would just wipe you out. It's now there. And it just excess of everything. You don't need a car that does 80 miles an hour either. Correct. Right. It, it's, you know, we need to use a little common sense in some of this, but here's an upside to the higher potency. Now you could use the higher potency to just get really trashed all the time, or you can say, look, it wasn't all that great for my lungs to have to go through four joints with two people before you actually got a buzz. I don't have to do that anymore. A, a half of a hit, a hit that's barely a hit, that this stuff is so potent, that's all it takes. So we could look at that as an upside. Did they not say at one point that one joint equaled the equivalent of 20 cigarettes as far as your lungs went? And, and again, we're talking 80s. Right, but there, that has been so disproven. In fact, they're doing research now and trying to figure this out because they've identified it, they can't understand why. Regular pot smokers, and we're talking not heavy, but regular, you know, several times a week, I think was the frequency, for some reason have better lung function than non-smokers. And nobody can figure out why. I did a little experiment and I I was a little shocked with the results and I I may try it again. Um, I do the Wim Hof breathing. And part of Wim Hof breathing is you, you take in, you know, 30 really deep breaths back to back, really hard, really deep breaths, 30 of them back to back. You let all the air out of your lungs and then you hold your breath until you can't hold it anymore. My average retention time on that breath hold is about two minutes. Occasionally I'll get to two and a half. That's almost like a record. Uh, 
The other day I ate a, a small edible. Uh, I felt it. I, I could feel the THC, not really powerful. I didn't eat much of it, a, a little tiny piece of an edible, but my edibles are really concentrated. I make my own. I grow all my own cannabis. It's well beyond organic. I process it with the medical grade ingredients. Um, so it's super clean, but my retention time with a little bit of THC and all the CBDs and all the other stuff that's in there, my first two rounds, I hit two and a half minutes. And on my third and fourth, I got two, uh, two minutes and 45 seconds. It's one of the best rounds I've ever had. I don't know why. I don't, I don't understand the mechanism behind it. And, and with an edible, there's no effect on the lungs at all. Right. Hmm. So I just just relaxed. um, Right. Yeah. And, and wildly creative for some reason on this strain. Um, I I will come up with the craziest ideas. The hot honey thing all came from, from one night messing around with this. And I I get these crazy ideas. Now I, I, I'm up all night, waking up, thinking of another one. I go and write it down. Uh, in the morning, about 80% of them are, it's not that they're bad ideas. They're just not quite as good as I thought they were and probably not worth pursuing with everything else I have going on. But I, I've gotten some pretty darn good ideas out of this. And we're creative. I think that's always been around. It, musicians, a lot of creative artists. People. Right, right. Look at the people who, it started with jazz mu- musicians. They were the, the, so even drinking people with jobs that need creativity, um, you're saying it's okay to have a drink or two during work to become more creative. Right. I think my position requires a lot of re- creativity. <laughs> <laughs> it does. That's right. I agree. I think you're creative. You, well, no, really think about it. You guys have created tunes that didn't exist. That that's a creation. Yeah. Yeah, I, Pete. I believe that. And sometimes, you know, I just have a really hard day, a really hard problem. I just need some creative, get the creative juices flowing. That's right. I understand hey, that. Hey, Pete, you and you, how many new products have you and Bruce created over the years? Things that didn't exist before. Oh, boy. Right? Quite a few. A lot. Quite a yeah, few. a lot. And, and, it's yeah. getting a lot harder to do that now, though. It is. It is, but we're we're still plugging away. All right. Well, uh, we've we've made it official. We passed the three hour mark, so I think we're going to wrap this up. I have got okay, a cool. uh, uh, thanks to to everybody from Pittsburgh Power as always. We'll do it again next week. I've got a great guest returning tomorrow. Paul Check, uh, founder of the Check Institute, C H E K is how you spell his last name. Paul hasn't been with us for a couple of years. Since we're talking about cannabis, um, Paul Check has a really interesting background. He trained with um, Native American tribes in the use of psychedelics. Any thoughts? Mushrooms, ayahuasca, that kind of stuff. He he actually uses that in, in kind of therapy stuff. So he, he's really into uh, yeah a lot of the native american type you know old traditional medicine that kind of stuff and uh and the psychedelics are a big big part of that that is getting really popular um costa rica is like the 
the epicenter of this, you can go down right now. There are tons of retreats in the uh, in the mountains in Costa Rica, and you go down and they handle everything, and they might be a leadership retreat. Seeing a lot of CEOs start to do this stuff now. So they go down there and they do these ayahuasca ceremonies or psilocybin and mushrooms, and they're, they're designed in a way that it's supposed to... It, some of them do it for increased creativity. Some do them for, you know, leadership skills. They're they're actually specializing these things now. And you're seeing a lot of like high level executives doing this. Hmm. Pete, you're a high level Yeah, I'm going to say I'm a VP, so I'm there gonna you have go. to look into that. That's right. Costa Rica. Put on the company card. <laughs> Get some airline miles out of it. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Now I make w- sure you look through. That's a good idea. I will tell you. Promote it first. I'll work on it. Um, I will tell you this. I've I've been to Costa Rica. We actually spent a month there and did the show every day from Costa Rica. That was kind of fun. Uh, The one thing I was horribly disappointed about, it's a beautiful country. I absolutely love it. But the food is horrendous. There is no good food anywhere in Costa Rica. Is that where you were telling me you get the tiny little bananas from? There's some there, yeah. Brown bananas. Yeah, they had all kinds of weird bananas all over the place. Um, Coconuts grow all over the place. Tiny little ones. Yeah, but the food itself is just awful. Like I could not find good. There's really no restaurants. When you do find them, it's almost like you know you're eating in somebody's garage. Really, it's it's not even much of a garage. Um, just, it was weird food wise. I was a little disappointed cause I'm kind of a big foodie and I was expecting better food, but you don't go to Costa Rica for the food. Mm. All right. With that. Yeah. You would think. Yeah. You would think, uh, one more update. Uh, I'm going to check real quick and see if the team has gotten me any details. Um, no, doesn't look like we have any details on the test we're going to do later today. So we will send it out in a text. Maybe we'll send out an email. I don't know. We'll see. But um, the other thing you could do is just monitor the stream once in a while. If you don't see anything, um, you may just notice us back live on the stream today. It will be a test. If technical issues annoy you, um, don't join us. We don't want you. There will be technical issues. So um, you can wait till we get it all worked out. We will talk to you soon. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy, always do the hard work and master the journey.